It is Friday, July the 14th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We recorded uh, this episode a little later just because of the schedule this week. Um, I actually had uh, Tim help me out with Secret Invasion Episode 4 Friday morning, so we just waited a little bit to put everything together. We're also going to be covering some of the racing on Sunday. There was rain for the races at Saratoga, so I didn't feel the need to put Saratoga Friday as much uh, in the mix. So, altogether, we're going to have a fun show for you. On this episode, we're going to preview the AFC North. Bengals, Ravens, Browns, Steelers. Eric joins me. We talk all about those teams, their odds to win the division, uh, their win totals, what their rosters look like now, any coaching movement, what to expect from them this year throughout their schedule, everything about the AFC North. Then we get into horse racing for the weekend. Saturday, Saratoga. Now it's raining out there, but I am going to dive into the stakes races and the pick five. All the Friday races came off the turf and they had tons of scratches. We'll get you Saturday Woodbine's Pick 5 and a look at their stakes race. We'll get you Sunday Woodbine's Pick 5. We'll get you Sunday Louisiana Downs Best Bets. We'll get you Monday Louisiana Downs Best Bets. We'll get you this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Everything going on in the world of WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, Collision, and then Secret Invasion Episode 4, a scene-by-scene deep dive recap and review with Tim Kelly. On this episode of That's What G Said, we have so much ground to cover, we cannot wait any longer. Right now, time to talk football. AFC North Division Preview, Team Previews for the Bengals, the Ravens, the Browns, and the Steelers with Eric. We're moving into the AFC North. If you missed last week's episode, we took care of the AFC East. So we went through Buffalo, Jets, Dolphins, Patriots, and uh, gave all of our thoughts over-unders, win totals, uh, new roster, uh, uh, movement, coaching, everything for the AFC East. This week, we get into the AFC North. Eric, my friend. How are things going on your end uh, as we get ready to talk some AFC North? Stuff's going good. You know, a little exciting here weather-wise yesterday with the tornadoes and everything. But, you know, survived and ready to talk some football, my man. And I am uh, about a day away from installing my AC back in. We had some problems with it. And we haven't really been hot, honestly, out here this this year so far very much at all. We haven't hit like hit our summer and now the last couple of days have. And so by the time we're done recording this, I will have lost five, six pounds just in the sweat alone in uh, about the 90 or so degrees uh, at around 530 still right now. But Eric, as we get ready to talk some football, this is a fun division to discuss because all of the teams have really fun quarterback storylines. Just right off the bat, right? From things that everybody like to talk about the quarterbacks. You've got Burrow, for the Bengals, who's blossomed into one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best players in the league, really likable. Everybody seems to really have a positive feel of Joe Burrow. And there's already starts, there's starting to be some MVP buzz for him before the season starts. And that's how things like this get. They're, they're like a narrative. For the Ravens, you've got Lamar making his return and he got paid. He got the big money now in the offseason. For the Browns, Deshaun Watson, he got his big money, and it's kind of put up or shut up time for him. Is he still good? 
That's what we're going to ask. And then for the Steelers, they've got the young kid Pickett who had a really good second half of the season last year. And they built up a lot of momentum to continue Mike Tomlin's string of no seasons under 500. So just from a talking about the QBs, the guys that are going to be slinging it for this team, they're sort of fun storylines. And that's not the case for every team and every division that we talk about. Uh, Give us kind of some overall thoughts and then we'll dive into the Bengals. My overall thought with the, um, with the division in, in general is with how stacked the AFC is two teams are going to do what we think. And two teams are going to disappoint. Yeah. Just, and we just, which just two are it, they? Which two are know, they? Which, which two are they for me? Look, I always go through, I do my projections about, you know, wins and everything. I had all these teams within three games of each other. I think this I is did a very too. even conference. Me too. Uh, you mentioned the Bengals. Bengals. They so got let's start. Orton. Let's start with them. Let's let's start with them. We're going to start with them, and we'll dive into each of these teams overall. Since he is your favorite in this division, their win total, Eric, is about eleven and a half. They're in the plus one fifteen. You know, we're looking at DRF Sportsbook right here. Depending on where you get it, what day you play this, this number is in that range. And these numbers are a slightly different based on the place or based on when you may have bet them. If you bet them today, next week, but. They're all the same order, right? We know that it's Bengals, Ravens, Browns, Steelers, like in that order. So the Bengals are favored to win this division. And what they've done the last few years, Eric, you know, back-to-back AFC championship games, went to a Super Bowl a few years ago. They have really established themselves in that upper tier now in the NFL. Like you, you sort of think about them as, you know, in that group of the top five teams in the league. Let's start with the Bengals. Offensive line will take a big step forward. They signed Orlando Brown. Instantly, he's their best offensive lineman. Instantly, not even close. Um, and they, they can it makes it makes them overall a little bit better, right? Because then they put Williams on the right side, where he's been a little bit better, and he's on a contract year. Yeah, and he was pissed. He left. He wanted to get tackled. He want he wanted to get traded. Um, but he's back, and um. They moved him over to the right side. The key part to the offensive line is this. Cordell Volson, what is the step forward he is going to take? He struggled as a rookie. If he does struggle, you know, they have Collins on the bench who can step in. I think this line is going to be greatly better than last year. I have them graded as my 10th offensive line. Now, the reason this offensive line needs to be good is you look at Burrow. Now, Burrow's great. I like Burrow a lot. Joe cool, but he holds onto the ball longer than the league average. So it's going to be on the O line to be able to protect him because he likes to hold on the ball. It's just what he does. Last two years, he was sacked 121 times offensive line ranked 29th in pass block grade in 2021. And last year they ranked 31st. And I agree with you, right? They're, they look like they are going to be a top half offensive line but with a couple of adjustments. Bur- Burrow likes to hold the ball long. It is what it is. Yeah. They just and- need to give them time. Mm-hmm. And if they can give them time with how the league is officiated, it's going to benefit the wide receivers and it's going to benefit Burrow. Um, you know, they have Chase, him and Chase have a tremendous connection. You have, T Higgins and let's face it 
if Higgins was anywhere else, he'd be the number one wide receiver. So you have a, the number one, a number one quality wide receiver getting great defensive back match via defensive this back is, matchups. This is it's the phenomenal. only team in the league that has three receivers that have reached the 1500 yard mark since the 2021 season. Only team out there just to compliment what you're saying. They, they have so many weapons. What's nice. That's a major positive for them. What do we think about mixing their run game, right? There's been Mixon had some legal issues in the off season. He's been in trouble a couple times. Then the contract on top of that, I believe that he's due 12 million. It would be like a 10 plus million dollar contract hit. I don't know if they want to pay that, but it doesn't feel like they, they drafted someone, but if, if Mixon's not there, they're going to be some really unproven backs getting the, getting big time touches. For this team, I talked to a source in Cincinnati, someone who's not a professional athlete, someone who's in, I don't even know, the private sector. I'll, I'll, I'll use that term. He told me Mixon is not going to be charged. So he shouldn't miss any time because of what the situation. And you think he'll be, he's just going to stick with it with Cincy and they're going to have, because they haven't made the moves to act like they're going to get rid of him, right? They didn't it's sign like, well, a veteran or two. Contract year. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, he's going to go out there because this is his chance to make money. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to make money. So if he can be out there, I'm definitely want to be invested in him. I think he's a very interesting play because you mentioned who do you have behind him? You have Chase Brown, the rookie from Illinois, who has yeah. good runner question in pass pro, not a good pass catcher. And then you have Chris Evans from Michigan, who's always been, oh, he's there, he's there, he's there. What is he going to do? You know what I mean? Like, I just, the moves they made suggest that they're going to run Mixon into the ground. And I think that's what they're going to do. Last year as a team, they ranked 29th in rushing yards per game. They only had 95 and a half. So they will need to run the ball a little bit more and just a little bit better overall if they want to be more well-balanced team because – we talked about the strength of the wide receivers. Burrow was the highest graded passer over the last two years. He's top five in passing yards, passing touchdowns uh, for a quarterback in their first three seasons. So one of the best all times as far as how good he's been right away. <clears throat> but question marks, we talked about the offensive line on paper. They look like they're going to be a lot better. Mixon. How motivated? What do they get out of him? And then going to be motivated as hell. Motivate for, for money, yeah. So and, and and if he if he cares and he comes, here's the thing: he, if he didn't care and was just out there by sheer volume and being on a really good offense, he would be a solid fantasy player, right? Oh, just like just getting the touches and getting as many looks as whoever that guy would be. The only problem we have is that if it's not him, it's sort of hard to determine who the other person would be. It would probably be more of a committee. Like he could sh- he should go out there and even if he's not at his best and he's getting 20 touches or so, a couple ca- a couple catches and you know 12 to 15 looks on the ground, a couple in the red zone, he's going to be very valuable. Eric, they did lose both starting safeties last year. And they are replacing them with three, we could probably say more unproven safeties in this situation. So that that could be, I guess, a weak spot for them as well but, in here. But I mean, up front, like my thing is, is if Reader, 
Hubbard and Hendrickson are able to get to the QB, it's going to be able to band-aid what they're going to have by losing their D, their safeties via free agent via free agency. Um, it's, a very, it's a good team on paper, man. They are. They know, don't have Reader, as many weaknesses. And the Reader is one of the better guys against the run. I mean, that's that's the thing that people seem to seem to forget. Reader is elite against the run. They did not lose their defensive coordinator, who last year was going to get a lot of buzz. And what they showed, they're they're a very good bend but don't break type defense, right? In some of the metrics that you'll look at, sometimes they'll like give up some yards here and there, but they lock down when they need to. They make big plays, and last year they really made adjustments against some of the better teams. Like they really outschemed Buffalo. I mean, it was they they made Buffalo. Oh my god! Don't even get me started on that. I know, and that, I knew because I, I knew that one would rile you back up. We talked it was, about it. Was it was just a simple thing, like. What Buffalo needed to do that game, their coaches were old men who didn't adjust. The one thing about this coaching staff that few people realize, since Taylor has gotten there, all the guys have stayed the same. There yep. is not one coaching staff that is as just consistent. Ever they know what they're gonna do, everyone's on the same page. There's like no shocks to the system or anything. That's a great point. This is consistent, as you said. Obviously, look. I like the Bengals. I think they could make a run. Yep. But so are they plus plus a thousand to win the Super Bowl in that range? Like the fourth choice or so? Yeah, plus a thousand. But the thing is this is just kind of like if we if we look at their schedule, they go at Cleveland week one. That's a home dog in Cleveland. I'm gonna be all over Cleveland there. Maybe that maybe that ten to one will get a little juicier. We can get because mm-hmm. I don't like I, I like to have my futures be 20 to one or north. That's sure. just, um, you, you'll wait instead of playing. You'll find a different way to play it. If you can't get um, a, a better value on it. Sure. They have a, um, a game on October 1st, week four at Tennessee. I think Tennessee's live in that spot. Maybe if they lose to that game, uh, week nine, they play Buffalo right and after they, they and play. After, and they play at San Fran and yep. then Buffalo that that so could be back to back Mm-hmm. I actually Should've have been. them losing both of those games back to back. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. yeah. And then and then what's crazy, even I'll tell you one game that I'm going to bet for sure. I'm going to bet Houston on on the 12th of November. Because look at that stretch for Cincy. They come back off the bye and they've got a big game at San Francisco that you're going to be up for. Then following that a game against Buffalo. That's a Sunday night game that you're going to be up for. And then you've got a Thursday night game at Baltimore. And right in the middle of those, you've got a home game against like sleepy Houston. That's just going to be a total flat spot. Look ahead game for Cleveland where I will bet to, I'll bet the Texans there as whatever they're getting, you know, whatever amount of points they're getting like plus eight or nine or something like that. Well, in that range, yeah, just, like you know, that's, that's, that's a spot. Right? Um, that I had circled too. I, I've got them at like in like right around where they are. I got them at like 12, 12 and five. I think they're a good team. I could see 11 and six, but like we said, the division's tough and they play each other. This division plays each other really well. And the one crazy thing, Joe Burrow has never beat the Browns in his career. He's consistent. 
he's never beat the Browns in his career, which is crazy because they haven't even been that great in the last few years when the Bengals have been. But yeah, yeah. What do you what do you have them? Weeks eight through thirteen. That was the spot. I have twelve and five. Yeah, we both have them almost the same. Final three weeks to close out too could be a little tricky. You go at Pitt, at Kansas City, and then you've got Cleveland at the end of the year. And who knows? Cleveland could be good at that point. Could be battling for a spot. So not the easiest three to end for the Bengals. But man, just a few years, the whole perspective of this organization has shifted. Like they are a really solid team on both sides of the ball. You mentioned their coaching staff, whether or not you're the biggest Zach Taylor fan or we are or anyone listening is, they've done a really good job of preparing their guys, making adjustments, in-game adjustments, season-long adjustments. It seems like they get better as the as the year goes on and they peak. And, you know, they're, they're right there with as good of a chance as any. And uh, I have no real knocks overall on this Bengals team favored in the AFC North. Anything else you want to mention about the Bengals? Um, no, let's move to the Baltimore Ravens. Now the Ravens, Eric will have their guy, Lamar Jackson back. Lamar missed five games each of the last two years. And those games really hurt this team. Since he became the starter, they are 45 and 16 with him. They are four and eight without him in regular season games. Last year, they started nine and four. When they have Lamar, they average 28 points per game. The last two years or over the that span I was talking about the last, I guess, uh, five years. And when they don't have Lamar, 17.2 points per game. So a difference of 11 points per game. He averaged 34.3 fantasy points per game in the first four games of the year before Bateman got hurt. I'm really curious to see what this offense is going to look like, Eric, because they've been a run pound offense because you have Lamar, you have a couple different backs that they've always been able to throw at you. You know, they can throw at you Dobbins, Edwards, Hill. Dobbins' numbers are really good when you sort of look into them and break them down a little bit. But the new offensive coordinator they brought in from Georgia, he's been in the NFL before with Tampa, with Cleveland. He was a pass-heavy guy with Tampa. So I'm kind of curious to see if this what this offense will look like because you sort of think of them as more of a run offense. But... I'm. Do you think this offense and and the play caller in particular will be leaning a little more pass heavy? Dive into that and then talk to us a little about the Ravens. Uh, well, obviously they got Lamar Jackson back, which is huge for them. Um, you mentioned the play caller. He this offense when he was a play caller was 22nd in the league. I mean, is that really what we're doing? Yeah. Like, is that really what we're getting excited about here with Todd Munkin? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there's this was the hardest team for me. Let's just kind of look at it. They got Lamar Jackson back, as I said. They did lose Ben Powers on the line, which is a huge loss. But with how other good the other pieces were, I think they're going to kind of be able to band-aid the loss of Powers. But he was really good. Yeah. Romans they did. They were, they were good last year overall. They were... Um... They were number four, I think, projected, and they actually had the least amount of penalties last year during the re- the regular season of any offensive line. So they were they were solid there up front. Where they've struggled, Eric, over the last few years, they'll be better this year, I think, as a group. But we kind of talk about how guys need to be slotted 
sort of like your roles, wide receiver one, wide receiver two. You're just talking about it with T Higgins who could go places and be a one like for Baltimore, right? He's your number one guy immediately. He walks in and there's a lot of other places where he goes and he's like that, but they, they have better options than they've had the last couple of years, but it's like, they've got a bunch of number three wide receivers out there, right? Well, they don't. Kind of, let's kind of look at it. You know, everyone, you, you mentioned their wide receivers. Now the question is, there's no role. Roman isn't here. And basically like Roman's running scheme was the basic thing in the world. You have, he would always stock the line. So he'd get more blockers on one side, or the other, they'd run it that way. That was basically it. Now the question is, with the change to the Monk in offense, can you win with Lamar Jackson and these, these wide receivers? OBJ just signed here. Coming off a major injury, hasn't played since that game he played with your Rams. And let's be honest, he hasn't really been a contributor, like a top two wide receiver since 2019. Correct. In 2021, he had 530 yards between the two teams. We feel better about him because he – he did help the Rams in big games, right? And I, I'm still saying that, like, he's he's a good veteran to have out there. If you make the playoffs and you have a one-game situation, well, sure. You know, he could go out there, make a great play or two, still be a nice decoy. But he's your number one wide receiver now, right? We got Flowers they brought in, Nelson Aguilar, um, and Bateman's back from injury. So overall... Last year, Bateman was their number one. They're better, like they have some better options, but they're they're not like great, right? It's like they're just sort of they. It's like they're playing some money ball almost, and like hoping that just like one of these guys can hit and pair that with Andrews. But I don't know which one of them I would really trust. I don't think you can trust any of them, to be honest with you, because like you look, you got Aguilar. He's here to he's a deep threat. He's a field stretcher. You got Bateman, but Bateman hasn't been able to stay healthy since they since they drafted him. Yep. Then they drafted Zay Flowers, who, look, I love Zay Flowers. I think he's great. He was on top of my wide receiver before, but he's the same exact player as Duvenet, who they already have. So now you have two guys who basically are the same guy. I don't understand that draft pick. You have Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely, so they have weapons. But the question is, can Lamar Jackson throw to the outside part of the field? And, and Andrews accounted for the highest percentage of its team's receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns among all tight ends since 2019. Um, he started to wear down a little bit last year. There were a couple of games that were kind of head-scratching for him. I think there's been a lot of, like, he's needed to do a lot over the last few years for this team. That That's an area of major concern. Like, they yeah. have a good staff, too, and they always seem to – like win a few games, like they're always competitive. I just don't, I don't love them in in a couple spots. Like there are just like a few and, weaknesses I think that they they could have that could be jarring. And let's just kind of look at Lamar. Now I know I got hurt last season. He only played twelve games, okay? But he played twelve games two seasons ago, so he played the same amount of games. There was a six hundred yard passing drop in passing yards the same amount of games. For the offense to work, he needs to be able to throw the ball. When you look at his deep ball passing grades, they're bad. When you look at him throwing to the right and left hashes, they're toward the bottom of the league. When you look at him throwing in the middle, when he first started, they were good. 
the last two years, they're in the 17 to 19 range. So I don't know if Lamar is going to be able to throw the ball. And then you look at his rushing yards, the rushing yards have gone down. I just think there's a lot. I I could see this going really bad, really quickly. Uh, One of the big things that I don't, I don't, because like I think for them, really bad is like eight win, seven or eight. Like I don't think the floor drops out for them unless Lamar gets hurt. Because I think if he's out there regular season wise, I think he gives them a enough of a floor. But I, I mean, I got them at nine. You know, like right at like yeah, I got nine. I got him at ten, and I mean like. One of the big things that happened after the playoff game, they lost to the Bengals. J.K. Dobbins was very vocal about not getting the ball. Yeah. And from what I've read, all the coaches were like, yeah, we messed up. We should have gave you the ball. I think he could be in line for a good season. I do too. He has some real, like kind of real underlying big numbers. He's getting overlooked. Defense, one of the better ones in the league, solid front seven. DBs, when they stay healthy, are good, but that's the million dollar question. The thing about this Ravens team, you look at this window they've had the last like three years, there's always that injury that just kind of like sets them up for failure. Der- derails them. Yeah. And with how good Harba is as coaching, and he there's I don't has them in like this position to make a like to sneak into the playoffs. And let's be honest, they I don't love their schedule. Cincinnati. They should have been Cincinnati that last year. Huge play so, in the playoff, that huge play that swung the game. I I don't love – okay, here, I don't – their defensive line's a bit unproven. They'll be look, counting on some players who missed time last year or some younger players. Um, you mentioned Dobbins. He's averaged 5.9 yards per carry with 1,325 yards on his last 226 carries. He has quietly been, like, awesome. And last year, um, Lamar was pretty good in those games with Bateman. Maybe there was something there with the two of them. Um, where you know that that'll help. What still concerns me is, you know, the passing defense. They were bad last year. They did add a Rokon Smith, and that helped them after uh, that adjustment. But their schedule, Eric, they open up. They play all three division opponents on the road in the first five weeks. Brutal. That is brutal. They go at Cincinnati in week two, at Cleveland in week four, at Pittsburgh in week five. So you got all of your division road games in the first five weeks. Like you could lose all three of those games. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying they will, or but they could very easily lose those three games. Even if you win your other two, all of a sudden you're two and three and you're own three in the division to start. And the wheels to just kind of fall off and someone could get hurt. And then you're just playing catch up. The and last four is you can't get behind the eight ball to start the season. They go to, they go to London in week six. And then following London, they've got five more weeks before they have a bye. Yeah. I hate when that happens. When teams don't take have the bye right after London and that because that how much that changes your schedule, messes you up with the time change. So they're gonna have five more games after London. Then they have their bye, a very late bye, week 13. You know, from week 15 to week 18, that's not a cakewalk, Eric. They go. Sunday night at Jacksonville, Monday night at 49ers, and then they come home for Miami and Pittsburgh. That's not an easy way to end either. 
Yeah, that's a tough little turnaround. Um, with how that game, with how they lost to Jacksonville last year, I think they're going to win that game. Going I to my I do too is going to be tough. Um, that Steelers game could easily come down to the last playoff position. It's a tough little thing, and even like the one, the the one that stood out to me was the Cleveland Bengals, and then at Chargers to before the bye. The only thing is, is I know they kind of get like a little mini bye because they play Cincy on a Thursday, but that's still a tough stretch of games. It and is. even the, uh, the stretch from, I mean, let's just kind of think about it. You play uh, Miles Garrett in week four, TJ Watt in week five, Simmons in week six, and then the Lions, who are a very physical team. That's four really physical games in a row. All in a row. This is a, this is a tough little schedule. It is. I don't I don't love their schedule. I think they're like a 500 team or so this year. Um, I, I like other teams in the division just i think that's what it comes down to i just like other teams in this division more than them like overall i like the rosters a little bit better i i'm a little higher on them i think there's more upside and we have two more teams to talk about is there anything else you want to hit on with the ravens no no and no futures yet no futures I, let's I don't have anything roll on to the Cleveland Browns. They are the third choice in this division. You're seeing them at around plus 375 on DRF Sportsbook. You can get them in close to around 400 or so, depending on where you're looking. The strength for this team, again, should be the offensive line. They should be very good. They're ranked number two by pro football focus. I think what it comes down to with them, Watson, right? Will he return to the guy that he was? We can excuse last year. He missed a lot of time. But now, full off season, he wasn't even really hurt, right? This wasn't like a guy who had an ACL. He just was out of it. He just missed time because of things that he did. It was not a physical issue. Um, it just, he was out of shape. He lost his timing. He lost the speed of the game. He, they, they can't wait anymore. They gave up three first-round picks. They gave him a fully guaranteed five-year contract worth $230 million. Last year, he passed for less than 200 yards per game. He had seven touchdowns and five interceptions in six games. The offense averaged 16.3 points per game in the six games that he played. So n- now, can he take the step forward? The offensive line is good. They have a great running back. You and I constantly talk about how good Chubb is second straight year. He's top three in rushing. He was tied for fifth in rushing touchdowns. He had one and a half more carries per game than he had in 2021. Now Hunt's gone. Could he be even more of a workhorse now? Get a couple extra catches, a couple extra out of the backfield. There's not much there behind him. You know, this team, like they have a pretty good roster overall, good offensive line, good running game. Defensively, some playmakers, Garrett, proven star, they Zadarius Smith, uh, Jeremiah, okay, stout linebacker, 70 tackles, two forced fumbles in 11 games. Garrett had a career-high 16 sacks last year, 18 tackles for loss. Last year, they win their first two games. They're up in week three against the Jets. And remember, they had that horrible collapse. They would have been they would have been three and oh to start the year, and then the wheels fall off. They lose six of their next seven games, they lose four in a row. But their DC now is Jim Schwartz. And Amari Cooper kind of quietly had a pretty good year last year. He had 1,160 yards, 
apparently he and Watson get along really well. They're friends. They're, they go out with their significant others together. So I think Deshaun Watson's girlfriend or his significant other stayed, has stayed with him through a lot of these allegations and Cooper has been out with his wife and with them. So you always like to see quarterback and wide receiver that get along well, that are friends. What do you think about this Cleveland Browns team over under what do we see nine and a half or so for their win total? I like this Cleveland Browns team a lot. I thought you Um, would. From 2018 to 2020, Deshaun Watson was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Let's rewind to 2019, 2020 season. The Houston Texans led by Deshaun Watson had a chance to go up 28 to nothing at KC, but O'Brien elected to kick the field goal and the wheels fell off. The Chiefs ended up winning the game. I really feel that if the Texans would have gone for that and gotten that 28 to nothing lead, that would have been the the nail in the coffin, but they didn't. They kicked the field goal instead. That's the level Watson had because the the Chiefs won the Super Bowl that year. Watson was at this level, and this is going to be the best offensive line that he has ever had in front of him. And they will give him time to throw the ball. During his time with the Texans, he was one of the better RPR quarterbacks in the league. Now you're pairing him with Nick Chubb. I think that Watson is going to take a huge step forward, and this will be close to the 2020 Watson. It will be interesting to see how much of a workload Chubb gets. Last season, he had 302 carries. That is the most carries that he's had in his career. And we generally tend to see running backs kind of struggle a little bit after they go over that 300-yard touch barrier, 300 touch a season barrier. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen because of how good this offensive line is. Last year, both Wills and Conklin struggled. They are graded very lowly by PFF, and this still is a top five offensive line in the league. If those two can get back to form, they're easily the best unit in the NFL, and it's the best unit by far. Now, their offense, they added so many playmakers to this offense to go along with Cooper and Peoples-Jones, I think it's getting overlooked. People forget Elijah Elijah Moore. Moore. They got for pennies on the dollar. Could be sneaky here. This guy was so highly touted coming out. Now he's going to be the wide receiver three working in the underneath, getting great matchups against the slot cornerback, which is great. They also drafted this guy named Cedric Kilman out of Tennessee. He would have been a first round pick if he came out a year earlier. And if he didn't get hurt last year, he got hurt last year. He was going to win the wide receiver award that his teammate Hyatt won. But if he didn't get hurt, he is better than Hyatt. He would have been the top wide receiver in this class if he didn't get injured. You have the best offensive line. In the game, you have one of the better running backs in the game, who I think is the best running back. You have four play-making wide receivers. Oh, yeah. And then you got Njoku just kind of running around underneath as a tight end, who's a very vastly underrated tight end. This offense is going to be one of the better offenses in the league. Flip side, defensively, they bring in Jim Schwartz to run the wide nine defense which I absolutely hate. You're going to be able to run on this team, which is a little bit of a worry point for me when they do play a team like the Ravens. I'm a little bit worried about that matchup. The Ravens will be able to run on them. They did bring in Zadarius Smith to pair with Miles Garrett. That way, you if you double Garrett, you got Smith on one-on-one matchups. Linebackers are good, but the thing is, is a couple years ago, they signed Walker away from the Colts 
with the vision that Walker, because of how athletic he is and how fast he is, is going to be able to cover the, cover the middle of the field to keep up with Lamar Jackson. But he can't stay healthy. They need him to stay healthy so he can patrol that middle and be good against the run for them to reach their, reach their peak. You have Ward, Delpic, Thornhill, and Newsom. This is one of the most underrated secondaries in the league. I think this team has an absolutely phenomenal schedule with how how it plays out. I think they're vastly underrated. I bet them at plus 120 to make the playoffs. And then I also took them at 35 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, it comes down to it comes down to Watson, right? What are you going to get from him? And then they they have the opposite schedule of the Ravens. They play three of their first four games, division games, and they've got two of them at home. So they could get off to a really nice start in the division right away. Cincy at Pittsburgh, then they play Tennessee, and then they're home for Baltimore before the bye. They get an early bye after that. It doesn't seem like there are that many stretches where they have like two or three really, really difficult games in a row. I the think the stretch they have was like week 10 yeah, through 10, yeah, right there. That's where I was saying at Baltimore pit in the middle and then at Denver, that was really the one that, that we both isolated. Other than that, it's not a bad schedule. I have them at nine plus like nine plus nine to 10 is how I was looking. Um, and I'm I can, in maybe I'm yeah. ambitious. No, no, and, and no, no, but, but you, this is how you have to be with a team like this, right? And we're going to talk about a, Pittsburgh in a second, but like for them, they, we can see why they could very easily do it. It comes down to Watson and one, and their coaching. Those are the, the biggest questions I have for them because I was really high on Stefanski. We, we both sort of were. And then recently I've gone sort of the other way on him. Uh, there have been times where I've been like, what the hell is he doing? I don't know in, with decision-making. I think sometimes with how he designs plays, he's good. But as far as in-game stuff. Um, so those would be my two biggest concerns, a competitive division. But I think they're a 500 or above team and one game goes the other way. Like I, I have no problem with the playoff bet that you made. I like that at plus money. And I there aren't a whole lot of weaknesses on their roster again. Right? Like you just look through their roster, they're pretty talented in the secondary. They're talented up front. The middle part of their defense is where they've struggled like a little bit in in spots. Um, but you know, we've they've got additional weapons in wide receiver here. Their offensive line should be strong again. It's just not a whole lot of knocks on this team overall. And and they're valued very well. Because, because as good as we are and positive as we are talking about them, we are expecting a much better season from Watson this year. There are definitely possibilities or versions that the, he maybe just doesn't get back to the guy he was. And if he doesn't, then this team's ceiling is a lot lower. But if he can get back to like 75%, 80%, close to 90% of who he was, well, now this team's ceiling is super high and it's not built into their price at all yet, right? Like if they yeah. start looking good early in the year, they're going to, it's going to catch on with the way their their numbers are. They're not going to be as undervalued as they are right now. The third of four teams 
in the AFC North? Anything I will say else? this. Yeah, they are live week one. They oh, are yeah. Home dog against the Bengals. What's that number right now? Do we see it? Uh, two and a half, three. Yeah. That's, yeah, they're super live. Money line there. For the Brownies, week one, we'll see who they are. As we move to the Pittsburgh Steelers, over under eight and a half, plus 470 in the when I looked a few days ago, now it's up to plus 600. So they're anywhere in the like 450 and above, depending on what you're looking, but they're like the fourth choice. No doubt. Eric, I like this team a little bit this year. Um, I, I think they've got kind of a, a favorable schedule too, when we get through it, but I, the key for them is what, you know, can Watt continue to stay healthy? I like what they've been building overall. You pair him with high Smith. All of a sudden, it's a pretty solid pass rush. With Watt in the lineup, the Steelers were 8-2 and two last year. They allowed 16.9 points per game, 288 yards per game. Without him, 1-6, gave up 25.3 points per game. They gave up 389 yards, 100 more yards per game. So Watt healthy, that's a major positive. The growth from Pickett and Pickens. Final eight games last year, Pickett threw one interception. Pickens... Had 801 yards, 15.4 yards per catch. He also had 19 contested catches, which ranked third in the league. Fryermuth, first tight end since 1990 with 60-plus receptions in each of his first two seasons. And last year, you tried to, to play this a few times, and I'm going to try to get on it this year. Deontay Johnson was targeted 147 times. He had 86 receptions, 882 yards, and not one touchdown. That's and crazy. Just, just to piggyback that, he led them in red zone targets. And he set an NFL record for most scrimmage yards without a touchdown. And we saw it toward the last part of the year, that last game. Pickett was absolutely just target, just peppering him with targets. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be betting that one a lot. Obviously, for me... Offense starts with Kenny Pickett. Yep. I am not a Kenny Pickett guy at all. I think we'll see the same that we saw from him last year. For me, I always say that if I don't see a big jump from year one from year two, the QB just doesn't have it. Sure. What where what I as as someone who likes this team, and I don't know how much, right? Like I don't think they can win the Super Bowl. I think they can make I think they can be a playoff team. I think they could win, maybe get to 10 wins, something like that. Um, and maybe maybe one or two games more than that if things were to, to break their way. What I'm the most worried about, Eric, is Matt Canada, the offense, the offensive coordinator, because sort of like what you're saying with Pickett, I don't know how good I think he is. I think he's kind of like a gamer. Like he was a good college quarterback. He's a guy that is probably really well liked in the locker room that'll go out there and try to make a big play. I don't think he's put in a very good position to succeed here with Matt Canada well, calling he, the plays. He's right? athletic, and, but he, he, I really but don't he's, think he would put him he, in enough. And so, position. look, so, but I, but I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in that I don't know how good Pickett is. And on top of that, he's in a spot where Matt Canada and Pittsburgh have not topped 20 scoring in uh, the top 20 in scoring or total offense either of his two years. As the offensive coordinator, they averaged 19.2 points per game, which ranks 26th. 
They ran average 4.9 yards per play, which ranks 31st. And honestly, Eric, like I don't pretend like I'm the most uh, incredible when it comes to breaking down film and stuff. Like we were, I watch and rewatch the games and I'm looking, I know what I'm, I'm trying to look at, but I'm not like, I haven't really played a whole lot of football myself. So I haven't been in as many rooms looking at that kind of stuff, but I'm telling you when I'm watching the Steelers, they are so vanilla. There's no play action. There's no movement. There's no creativity in their play calling at all. Nothing. It's just really basic, really like old school. And it doesn't have to be. It wasn't always that way. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't like the most fleet of foot. He can move around a little bit, but there were years where they could throw the ball around and they had playmakers. And it just, even if you're not going to be a team, like even if you want to lean on your defense and run the ball, you can't get more creative plays when you do choose to pass or just to try to get some, just to try to keep the defense off balance. I, I don't have faith in him, like the combo of Canada and Pickett together. That's my major worry about this team. But I like a lot of them elsewhere. Defensively, if Watts back, you sort of know what, what you're going to get from them because they have a good floor with Tomlin. They have some of these young playmakers. I don't know if anyone thinks they're going to get a lot out of Allen Robinson this year. He's just sort of another guy. I mean, he didn't do very much with, with the Rams opposite of Cooper cup positive. They started the same five linemen every game last year. They did change two of their starters and on paper, they actually should be better. They were a good pass blocking team. They were an awful run blocking team. And that's where they have to get better, Eric, because they can't be a team. That's a good defensive team. Your offensive coordinator is not creative and you can't really run the ball like that. Can't those things can't all happen. You have to run the ball at least average. And they were better at the end of the year. Harris only had one game overall where he rushed for a hundred yards last year. The first two months of the season, he averaged 45 yards a game, 3.3 yards per carry after the bye, he averaged 4.1 yards per carry, 74 yards per game, seven total touchdowns. We don't need Harris to have 120 yards a game, right? That's all he has to do, just like that. Like 60 to 70-ish range consistently, that's good for them. Give us some more thoughts uh, on the Steelers. Um, Excuse me. I don't think they use Pickett's athletic, uh, athleticism enough. Mm-hmm. They could use a little bit more RPOs with him. The offensive line will be one of the more improved units. They signed Isaac Amalo and drafted Broderick Jones, which is going to shore up the left side of the line. This line should be able to protect Pickett more than they did last season. Also allowed Harris to have an approved season. The thing about Harris that we need to remember is he had that foot injury at the beginning of the year, and he just was never right after that foot injury. So – I really feel that improved offensive line, getting that um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Getting that health better. I think we're going to see him improve a little bit more with the production that they have. I think they're going to be able to run the ball, which is obviously a staple of what the Steelers like to do. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I'm not really a Matt Canada guy at all. i shocked he still has the job here. 
Deontay Johnson set a record for most scrimmage yards without scoring a TD. He led the Steelers in red zone targets. I think week one, they're going to do their damnedest to get him a touchdown. So in week one, I'm going to be playing prop. Um, And I'm going to play a little DFS week one too. I know that Pickens is the wide receiver that everyone is talking about in terms of fantasy. But when you just look at the games that Pickett started, okay, guess how many targets Pickens had? He had 63. He had 63 targets in the game that Kenny Pickett started. Started. Deontay Johnson had 120. That's that's almost a two-to-one difference. All those targets aren't going to disappear. You know what I mean? Even if there is like a 20, 25 target drop, he is still going to be out-targeted out target, he's still going to get more production opportunity than Pickens will. They added Allen Robinson, who's been a huge disappointment. They have 73 abandoned targets from last last year's team. So obviously they drafted Washington, who's more of a blocking tight end from Georgia. Allen Robinson, let's face it, he's not going to take up those 73 targets. He's probably going to be like in the 50 range at most. So I kind of think like because everyone's going to be betting Pickens, we're going to be able to get some value on Deontay Johnson, his over yards, his yeah, over for yards. That's going to be something to kind of wait for though. Cause I think that number is just going to keep on dropping just because of how much love Pickens is getting in the fantasy and betting community defense. They have Watt and Hayward up front along with Highsmith, as you mentioned, as long as Watt plays, this unit is going to be one of the better units, but you mentioned it when he's not out there, This unit struggles, and it struggles insanely. Um, The one worry point for me is Neil. He graded 70 out of 88 possible safeties. We've seen over the years that the the, um, Steelers have been known for their great back four. They drafted Porter, who I think could be like a Sauce Gardner, could be phenomenal. But I just don't – I don't know. I don't trust Pickens. I'm worried – about the health of some of their key guys on defense because we've seen defensively they do tend to get hurt. I don't like Matt Canada. I'm just going to do Deontay Johnson week one anytime touchdown, and I'm going to bet him anytime Tom is the dog. Yeah, I like Deontay as well. I'm going to play them over that eight and a half, which will get us to that Tomlin 500 number. And I'm going to play them to make the playoffs as well. Find the, the the best number that you can. I would actually not even have a problem playing them to win the division more than win the Super Bowl. Because I don't think it getting through the playoffs like they have a good enough team. But could this team get hot in the regular season? And like we said, we don't know. I don't think the difference between them and the top of this division is as much as it says here based on the odds. So when when that's the case, I think they represent the most value. And I think Cleveland also represents a ton of value. I would yeah. back either of those teams if you're looking to back the division, fade the Ravens. I don't have any problem with the Bengals, but they're just, you know, they're the team to beat, not necessarily the team to bet here. As uh, we finish up with the AFC North, Eric, let's put a bow on them. Give us some of your plays that you've either made or uh, or ones that stand I only out have. Two plays that I've actually locked in the Browns to make the playoffs plus 120 Browns to make the, to win the Super Bowl 35 to one. And then week one, I'm going to bet Deontay Johnson. I'm going to take his anytime touchdown prop as long as it's over plus 200, which, which it should be um, 200. That's my breaking point for that. And I'm going to look to take his over for receiving yards closer to the season. Cause I think 
right now. This is at the 850, 850 and a half. I think as it gets closer to the season, we're going to see that number tick down a little bit more. Eric, what uh, you have coming up this week on your podcast, uh, you and I are recording this on Thursday night. So for everyone that hears this on Friday, Eric and I have episode two of The Winning Ticket, Friday night, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Go follow DRF Sportsbook, and we will give out some best bets for Friday baseball, a couple plays for Saturday for the weekend, and then we'll also uh, go over the AFC North again there, uh, give you some other information, take a look at some some different things with Jack Fitzpatrick producing the show. Uh, what about for you for your other stuff this weekend, Eric? Uh, my podcast, which comes out on Friday, it's going to come out early Friday morning this week. Me and my friend Nick, we give you a fantasy football preview of the Patriots and the Washington Commanders. Our buddy Jim and I talk CFL, what bets we're going to lock in. And Brandon, who is an iRacer, came on and we talked NASCAR and we shared who we're going to bet for this week's NASCAR race in New Hampshire. Thank you so much for talking some AFC North with us. So where do we head next week? We're going AFC South. Jags, Titans, Colts, and the Texans. We will talk about them team by team next week right here on That's What G Said Podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. A big thank you to Eric. Go give him a follow. Check out all of his great content there. And we'll be back talking AFC South next week. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Every single day you can play in horse racing contests for actual cash prizes with Stable Duel. It has a fantasy style format. If you ever played DFS, it's like how you build your lineups based on a salary cap. Stable Duel, get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's head on over to Saratoga. Let's talk about some of the Saturday card. In the fourth race, they have the grade one Diana. If these races stay on the turf, five horses in the field, four of them are Chad Brown runners. And in Italian is going to be the heavy, heavy favorite. And the only one that I thought could beat her would be market segmentation. The problem is she has the most other speed, so she'll probably have to press her. And I don't know if that ends up being the best place to be. Just not a bettable race for me in any way, shape, or form. But we can dive into the late pick five at Saratoga on Saturday. Let's start in race number seven. It's an optional 62 non-winners of two. I'm going to go to the number seven in here, uh, Tracy Ann's Legacy. It's a a five-and-a-half furlong turf sprint. She's not quite as classy on paper maybe as a few others in here, but she's proven she's on a... 11-time winner, a 7-year-old mare who just knows how to sprint on the turf. She was in a race last time out that was a really tough race behind a couple next-out winners. And if you look at her form overall, she's extremely honest. And this is where she does some of her best work. So I will use the 7 Tracy Ann's Legacy along with the 1 playlist, the 4 Breeze Easy. Those are the uh, the two really logical contenders, and they're going to take a lot of money and a lot of support in there. We move to the 8th race. This is a New York bred maiden special weight for Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and up. I like the number 10, Ichiban. He had a fast start. He went right at the three to five favorite. He was in the two path. She was in the two path. She got the better of the speeds. She ends up losing to a Philly that sat a perfect trip third right behind them. And even, even when she looked like she was done, she still kept battling on. And I thought she fought really hard in there. I like the 10. We'll also use the nine, the first-time starter for Kelly Breen. The dam was a seven-time winner, earned 250000 was a multiple stakes winner, and was a stakes winner on the dirt and the turf. Nate Jude, the number nine, the barn is 16% with first-time starters. They've won with 24 of their last 152 of them. Super capable. The eight, Foxy Cara, would also be in the mix. The last three races in a row are all solid. He put himself in fourth last time. He was about three lengths off. He just got going late. He's kind of a, a she's kind of a weird horse to watch run. You sort of think there's going to be more there, but I'm not ready to give up on her yet. 
And then you have Mim on the outside. She had a fine start. She kind of loomed up into contention. She was clearly second best that day. Others, if you wanted to go faster, the two or farther, the two shotgun. Patsy's dam was an eight-time winner. Multiple New York Bread Stakes winner. Crystal Air and Bonadou, they ran the same sort of race. Montauk Mystique adds the blinkers after debuting on a muddy track. I went 10, 9, 8, 11. Had major question marks about 2, 3, 4, and 5. Just not sure what to do with them in what looks like a pretty difficult race on paper. The ninth race on Saturday is the grade 3 Kelso. And the Kelso is a mile on the turf now. Annapolis will be pretty tough in there. He is going to get a good trip. Probably sit in fourth or so. The one that I'm I'm kind of interested in is Anaconda. That's my top selection. Anaconda had legitimate trouble last time out. A slow start, was sixth, was inside, moved through a tight spot, was traveling really well, had to tap on the brakes, was back up to third, just couldn't get through, like around the two paths, was sort of shifting around. It was a really tough trip. He was looking for room all over the place. I think he gets a nice setup in here. Ice Shock lot would be the other one that kind of interesting at a mile. He's won at seven, seven and a half furlongs. He was second at seven and a half, second at a mile and a sixteenth. It seems like this range is a really good trip for him. So uh, I think he makes sense in here at a big price. Seven, two, four, and eight. Casa Creed, obviously, his class fits very, very well with this group. Multiple grade one winner there. We move to race number 10. It's the grade three. Sanford, six furlongs on the dirt. I'm going to go towards the outside. I mean, triple tri- triple T. Gold Sweep is the horse to beat with that 91 buyer speed figure. I like Triple Trey. I thought visually he was extremely impressive at Woodbine. He was sixth. He was about four lengths off. He looked like he was getting outrun. And then he starts to move in between. He tips outside. He gets going late. It was strong. He beat two next out winners that came back to win with 67 and 73 buyers. And... The third place finisher came back to lose to the runner-up. So the race came back really live. The dam was a winner on the dirt, produced four winning dirt siblings, and we know he can sit off and pass horses. Gold sweeps the horse to beat. The 10 Market Street, also in the mix for me, really quick, coming in uh, from Ellis. 6, 1, and 3 would be the other horses I, I was looking at if I wanted to go a little bit deeper. But I'll build a lot around 7, 9, and 10. As we move to the 11th and final, I like the number 1, Monet Never. Legitimate trouble at Keeneland on April the 26th. Was in a group of 7 horses. They were all looking for the same spot, trying to be forwardly placed. He settles inside. He's 3rd. He's just behind the leaders. He wants to go. He moves to the 2 path in between at the top of the lane with dead aim. And he really tried hard um, as the winner opened up. You know, I thought it was a good effort. Two starts back, the Gulfstream Park race was really good when finishing second. Monet, never. The 112 by Lounge. Mott's been good recently off the bench. First time gelding, first time Lasix. American Know How, the 11, will also be in the mix for me, as will the two others to include. Cigarette Boats Dam was a winner on the turf. Flat top box, nickel, nickel, wouldn't shock. But I'll go 112-11-2 to close things out at Saratoga on Saturday. Best of luck 
playing Saratoga on Saturday. Who knows what the weather will be like. Wanted to get through that sequence quickly just in case uh, a lot of these races are changed or taken off the grass or it's completely different fields. We move now from Saratoga to Woodbine. Let's talk about the Woodbine Pick 5. I recorded this segment earlier, so if you want to watch on social media, you can go follow me. It's me, Gino B, on Twitter, or go subscribe to my YouTube channel. All the videos are posted there. Here's a listen to the recording from earlier on the Woodbine Pick 5 for Saturday. Let's talk some Saturday Woodbine, July the 15th. We have a 10-race card out at Woodbine on Saturday. There will be the feature, race number seven, the My Dear Stakes, $125,000, two-year-old filly sprinting five and a half furlongs on the synthetic, and that early pick five starts in race number two. Remember, on Saturday and on Sunday, the pick five pools are guaranteed at $100,000 every Saturday, every Sunday. Every Thursday, Friday, they're guaranteed at $50,000. You can play for just a 20-cent-based wager. I would recommend you head on over to DRF Bets because you can sign up for a DRF Bets account. You can get past performances for free. The ones that I'm looking at right now that I'm going to walk you through how I'm handicapping the card on Saturday at Woodbine, you can get these past performances for free. Here's how you do it. Go to DRF Bets, sign up for an account, use the promo code WINNING. WINNING, W-I-N-N-I-N-G. Then when you use that promo code, they're going to give you a $10 free bet right when you register. When you deposit $250, $250, they're going to give you a $250 matching bonus right off the bat. So instantly, your $250 becomes $510. They double your $250. They give you the extra $10 for just signing up. And then they'll give you 10 free past performances, 10 free formulator cards. The formulator is the style that we're going to look at right now as we handicap this pick five. And then every time you wager 50 bucks, you get another past performance credit. So if you're wagering, if you're playing the races, you're not going to have to pay for past performances anymore. As long as you're playing with DRF bets, sign up now, use that promo code winning. If you have any questions, just let me know. I'll help you out on the details there. Let's dive into Woodbine for Saturday, July the 15th. Let's go to race number two. And uh, starting in the second race, I thought the one and the two were both intriguing. The one bodacious miss comes out of back-to-back wins she had a fine start last time out she was second she kind of backed off to fourth and fifth she was in the clear she was in the two path she tipped out she responded well she opened up and by process of elimination she's going to be close up early in here there's not very much early speed so i think it's the one and the two no whammy just like the rival to her inside she has some speed she doesn't need the lead but because she has a little bit naturally she's faster than most of the others in here. I think you have to use the one and two because of that. I'm also going to throw in the five tempera uh, temporea because she could be forwardly placed in this race. It does not have a whole lot of speed. They're trying to figure out where she fits. She's going to make the third start of her form cycle. She's dropping in class. She tried tougher spots in her last two, and now she's going to get to the turf. And while she hasn't won on the turf, she has some races that would definitely be competitive. In this group, I like one, two most. I'll use the five in some spots. Going to take a shot against the four, Spider Bell, who I think will be 
one of the shorter prices in here and uh, a little over bet. Let's move along to race number three. And this is uh, a maiden 40 for Phillies, two-year-olds. It's one of those optional claiming uh, conditions for the, the maidens. I like the three and the five most in here. The three, Never Silent, is the horse to beat. She's a two-year-old filly. Her dam won her debut at Belmont. So you can take a click here looking at the uh, formulator past performances. Summertime Friend won her debut going five and a half at Belmont, came back in her second start, finished third. They tried a stakes in uh, her third start. This was a multiple winner there. Um, Three siblings to race. One of them was a winner who won at Woodbine. And then, you know, a, a horse that they thought enough of to try graded stakes company early on in the career, Sammy Stone, who, so there's enough pedigree here with the three, never silent. The five, Boston Mabel, I thought was a little bit interesting, just getting some class relief, face those regular maiden special weights in the maiden, uh, both of the maiden races. Now the blinkers come on and you're getting Lasix in a softer spot. So Boston Mabel, would be no shock. Had a good start in that last race, but was in a group of four that all wanted the lead and then backed up. I think she has a little bit more speed than it may look on paper too. So I I think the plan for her is going to be, let's get aggressive with the blinkers coming on. Make sure you use the five everywhere. Based on value, she's the top pick for me. Boston Mabel, the three, never silent right below. Then we get to the eight, Nacho Girl. I mean, this is just a Cassie first-time starter. To be honest, the barn, 18% with first-time starters at Woodbine over the last five years, a $1.37 ROI. Overall, they haven't been quite as good with firsters, but they've been fine at, at Woodbine. The six is the next one. Dinah's flatter. No real knocks on this one. I mean, the debut was just the debut, so we can be forgiving and expect some improvement. I just like some others more in here. Get my drift. If you're trying to go a little deeper, Dan was a four-time winner. Five of the seven siblings won. Three of them won their debut. So there is a little precocity with Get My Drift. A barn who's capable. They've won with seven of their last 53 first-time starters. That's 13% with a $2.32 ROI. But recently, they're only one for their last 17. So some positives with Get My Drift. Maybe offering you uh, some decent value there. As we move to race number four, I thought this was a tough race. One where I didn't really have the strongest opinion in the world. I, I would lean to the four American Gamble. The June second race, going six furlong or going five furlongs on the turf, where she lost by a nose, was really good. And I think if you can get anything comparable to that, she'd be tough in here. The one Sacred Dancer is also going to be in the mix for me. Probably some combos of five Mimi's Golden Ring, who has speed. The six also should be forwardly placed. And then the seven, Winya Bay. I think my main approach to this race is I'm a little cold on the three, my Sonny Valentine, who I think will be a short price. And I don't know if he has to win or she has to win this. Moving, so four and one all over, maybe some five, six, and seven, but we'll play against the three, the short price. Let's move to the fifth race as we take a look at some two-year-old fillies. These are the Ontario sired maidens or two-year-olds, so you get that uh, the option for um, the claiming tag for some of them. And fifth race will be going five and a half on the synthetic. I'll start with the number seven. What I like about this one, the experience. The debut race was not bad. Let's watch it. So 
This was first time out of the box. We're going to be watching the race of the number four, Dixie Ribsy. And she's fifth or so when we start, when she starts. Not a bad start. She's kind of fine. Others are just a little bit faster. So she's in the fifth spot. She's three deep. She starts to recover nicely. So she moves right up into contention. And she's able to move up gradually on the outside all the way up to within a half of a length of the eventual winner, the four to five favorite who got an easy lead and went gate to wire. I love when horses make a move like this. Watch her three wide now. She's moving up into contention. She takes a big shot at the pace setter. And then right here, she gets a little bit tired, right? She goes a little wide and that's that. But she moves right up into it. She tries and then she falters. For a career debut, I think she's going to gain a lot out of that. Fitness, stamina, understanding of the race shape and dynamics. I think it's a good spot for the number seven, Dixie Ribsy. Eight to one on the morning line. That's going to be my top selection. The one silent attack will be in the mix all over for me. The Barnes only two for their last 35 with first time starters, but they did win with one on June the 10th, going five and a half furlongs at 10 to one. So positive there with the one. Others to look at the two magical trick. This is the horse to beat. She was third on the inside. She got shifted back a little bit. She didn't have a whole lot of room. She was about five, six lengths off. It, it wasn't bad. She did get going late. She looked like extra ground would help her. And the damn one going long, the lone sib to win go, one going long. This isn't long, but it's longer. You just figure that more and more ground will help for magical trick. Spirit Bear is the three. First time starter. The dam was a six time winner, Bears Gem, and was actually a stakes winner at Woodbine. You can see. Produced three siblings. Two of them are winners. The barn is four for 38 with first time starters, but has one with two of the last six. The three could be included in some pick fives. I went seven, one, two, three. You know, depending on how you want to put your ticket together, how deep you want to go. I like the seven, one in the two, definitely in the mix, the three as your deeper price play. Let's finish up with race number six at Woodbine on Saturday, and then we'll get to the seventh race, which is the stakes. We'll also hit on that one too. Optional 50, non-winners of two going six furlongs on the turf. We'll go to the number eight in here as the top selection, Forest Drift. Now, if you look at her recent races on the turf, her last four turf races, fourth in a grade two, she was only beaten a length in three quarters. The race on September the 4th at Woodbine, you can eliminate that because that was her last race of the year, and then she was off a long layoff. So just put a line right through it. Before that, she's winning, beating First Level Allowance Company. Before that, beating $25,000 claimers. The turf form recently is very good. This is a pace factor, cutting back, drawn well to the outside. The eight's in the mix for me. The four, no doubt, run for the hills. I think this is probably the horse to beat, can sit real Close, just off, puts two starts together. Plenty of time to recover after the nice win on May the 27th. The five Basalt Street major player eliminate the grade the grade three race. Just put a line through the graded stakes race, two starts back, and you're left with a string of very good efforts. The If you wanted to go a little deeper, the one, three, and seven would be that next tier of horses to me. Luz de la Luna coming off of two career best efforts. But 0 for 7 overall on the turf. Maybe this horse is just better now for this new barn. 
You've got the three, the Arcadian Way, who should be forwardly placed. You've also got the seven, who I could toss into deeper tickets. The uh, 12 to one shot, breathing fire, second start off the long layoff. If she needed her last, if she can get back to some of her July and August races of last year, that's not far off. So there's a look at the pick five, $100,000 guarantee in that pick five pool on Saturday. Race seven is the My Dear. It's the feature race on the day. It's a fun race to dive into. I think you can make some cases for some really strong prices in here. Uh, In particular for me, I like the two crafty Oaks who was fourth on June 3rd in that debut race early and then came storming home, was actually back to about five lengths out of it. When I play races with young horses a lot of times what i'm looking for are the horses that were able to show they can sit off the pace because in these stakes races you'll generally get a bunch of speed you'll have three or four horses who all flash speed so for me i like the fact that crafty oaks has shown us that she has no problem coming from off the pace the seven's going to be in the mix for me also Stormcast, same reason sat off the pace nicely to the outside sat off of dancing duchess and dancing duchess will just probably have to deal with more speed in here the three four and the five all very quick all drawn right next to each other and you figure they will all be pushing each other at least those three even the six living magic has a shot in here getting you know a little more speed to chase and possibly getting a chance to sit off of it so there's a look at Woodbine Stakes, I put the two Crafty Oaks on top of the seven, five, and the six as others to include. There's a look at your Saturday pick five and the Saturday feature race at Woodbine. I'll be talking Woodbine every day they are racing, so we'll have some more analysis for you for the Sunday card. Best of luck. Make sure to head to drf.com for past performances and make sure to go to DRF Bets for all of your wagers. Good luck. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is full-service realtor Cindy Carava, and she can help you out in many ways. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Now, she can help you with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors if you're looking for home improvement. If you need help with the home loan process, she can connect you to the right type of lender. She just wants to make your life easier, help you with so many little things that probably aren't even on your radar. Give her a call or check her out her website, cindycarava.com. That's like the command center for her. You can find everything there, help with um, pricing, former projects that she's worked on, testimonials from people, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's shift our focus over to Woodbine on Sunday. We'll go Sunday Woodbine pick five. Then we'll go Sunday Louisiana Downs best bet before we head to Monday for Louisiana Downs best bet. So we'll hit all of those in a row. We'll go Sunday Woodbine pick five, Sunday Louisiana, Monday Louisiana. You'll hear in the intro which uh, tracks we're talking and which dates. These were all recorded previously on video, so you could watch them all if you want to see the past performances or you can kick back and listen we go from sunday woodbine sunday louisiana to monday louisiana
Sunday, July the 16th. Let's finish up the week over at Woodbine. Now, remember, folks, I'm always looking at the daily racing form past performances. I'm always looking at the formulator past performances. You can get these for free when you wager through DRF Bets. If you don't have a DRF Bets account, go sign up right now. Use the promo code WINNING. You can get 10 free formulator cards and a $250 match deposit bonus. So here are the steps. Sign up for DRF Bets. Use the promo code winning immediately. They're going to give you a $10 free bet just for registering. Then if you deposit 250, because that's your max match deposit bonus, they'll give you 250 right off the bat. So then you have 510 bucks to start betting. They also give you 10 free formulator pass performances. And then every time you wager $50, you get another credit for past performances. So if you know you're going to be playing the races a lot, you know you're going to be wagering a lot, wager with DRF bets, you won't have to pay for past performances anymore. Let's move to the Sunday pick five, that early pick five at Woodbine on Sunday, $100,000 guaranteed pick five pool every Saturday and every Sunday. Thursday, Friday, it's at 50000 You know it's always in the second race. You know you can always play for 20 cents. Yep, just a 20 cent based wager. I'm going to go to the number five, to start, I think quite ready could be close up early in a race where there's not that much proven early speed. The five to me coming into a barn who's solid first start off the claim, I think it's very, very well spotted in from wood, uh, in from Gulfstream Park. Quite ready, the number five, the six hunt master, probably the horse to beat in here, and then the other three down on the inside were the other ones that intrigued me. The one could get aggressive. With the inside draw. So 357 is going to be in the mix for me in lots of spots. Probably 561. You wanted to go a little deeper. The two long pond, the three super classy would also be players in here. Super classy hasn't won in a while and he's 0 for 7 on the turf, but six of them have been in the money and the races would really be competitive and they fit on speed figures. And when you watch visually, they're not bad. It's not as if this horse doesn't like the turf. Just hasn't been able to get a victory yet, but has six really good races on the grass. So we'll put the five, six. The five is the horse to beat for me. And uh, the one sort of that intriguing price play, 357 to include. We move to the feature, the Victoria, $125,000 stakes race for two-year-olds going five and a half on the synthetic. And all five of these horses won or come out of their last race where they showed speed. All five. I'm going to lean to the five Pippet. She's drawn to the outside. And while her while the blinkers come on, she was a horse who pushed through from the inside in her debut. I think it was more that they tried to get her to the lead because she was on the rail. Now, if you watch the Saturday video, you know that I like Crafty Oaks a little bit. So as I'm recording this early, if I like Crafty Oaks on Saturday in a stakes race, also, I, or Saturday, I think, Pivot is a major player in here. So it doesn't bother me that Pippet is a Philly facing the boys because early on, sometimes the Phillies are a little bit more mature and even more precocious from speed figures too. You can see she stacks up really well. The key is, can she sit? And because of her post position, can she, you know, just maybe be off of the pace a little bit? I think so. So I put her on top, the one Mattingly, very fast. It was a good effort at Gulfstream Park. These stakes place, that debut was in a good race against um, horses who were trying to 
get qualified for Royal Ascot. And then the two yacht boy was very impressive in that second start. She like real uh, thought triple tray was really impressive debut winner on June the 4th. I went five, one, two, and four were the ones that intrigued me the most. The four coming in from Presque Isle is kind of a wild card. We have two Presque Isle horses. I prefer the four a little bit visually. I thought was a little more impressive. We'll lean to the five, the outside draw. Let's move to race number four, middle part of the pick five sequence. I'm going to go to the seven, Walter Me Lad. The seven and the eight are probably the two real horses to beat in here. Walter My Lad, lightly raced. You have some upside, just the three career races and hasn't done anything wrong. One More Brew looks pretty similar too. He has the one poor performance, which was in a stakes race. Uh, those two are both horses I had a tough time leaving out. The one that I think is... Sort of a fun price is the three moon quest. Maybe he just was a, he wanted to be a sprinter. Look at his two races going the shortest he's been. He wins and he's a good third and he's had some physical issues along the way, but this horse was bred to be a nice one. Maybe he just didn't want to go along. I'm going to throw a moon quest in at a a price in uh, a few different spots. And Justin's way also wouldn't shock. I went seven, eight, three, six here in race number four. We continue along to race number five at Woodbine. Let's look at the number five, Summer Commander. So I'm I'm checking boxes when I'm looking at first-time starters. One thing I want to look at, how was their dam? Well, this one's dam was very good. Dancing All-Star won the first two starts of her career. She won a race right here at Woodbine going five on the synthetic as a uh, two-year-old, like early in her career. You can see she's just sharp and fast, ends up winning nine times. She ends up a graded stakes winner, and she earns over $500,000. So when I'm looking for pedigree, she is a damn that checks so many boxes because she's fast, she's precocious, she's classy. She's also won over the same exact track at at the same place. Lots of positives for Dancing All-Star. You go to the siblings, you can see this is a full brother to Summer Sunday, who was an 11-time winner, who was a multiple-graded stakes winner, who won the first three starts of their career. So again, a direct sibling now shows precocity, shows class, shows the affinity for this exact same track this exact same area for the same barn. You have Simon who trained summer Sunday. Another one, Trini Bru- uh, brunette was a class, uh, was a stakes winner. So the dam was really good. The siblings both really good. Another one, all-star dancer was a multiple winner. So you've got three multiple winners, two stakes winners, one multiple graded stakes winner that are direct siblings. You've got a classy graded stakes winner for a dam who was a, a half a million earner pedigree all checks out. You can look at the work tab now, July 9th, or let's go to summer commander, July 9th, June 30th, June 22nd, June 15th, June 4th, May 21st. It's not necessarily every seven days. There's not a whole lot of gaps there though. We don't see like weeks and weeks of missing works. There might've been just some timing issues, but we can see how this barn has done with first time starters. You can customize the statistics however you want. Let's just go overall with first-time starters. We can get an idea of the last five years. So four for 38 over the last five years. We've only had one horse this year as a first-time starter so far. The last one 
uh, that they won with was Friends for Life last year at five to one. So what this shows me when I see numbers like this is they just say this is a capable barn with first time starters. They don't necessarily crank them first time out, but if the horse is good. If the horse is right, they can absolutely get a horse ready to win first time out of the box. Canadian champion female sprinter summer Sundays full bro summer commander the three forest woodsman runner up was very good took a big shot at yacht boy and we just talked about yacht boy he's in the stakes race earlier on the card so the three is the horse to beat in my opinion I also thought valley victory just getting a class drop or and getting a first time gelding what I like about him is he has been involved early he's shown some positional speed so now at a reduced class level with the first time gelding can he just be a little better that debut race has already come back live five three seven one siesta beach no knocks this one should improve with the race under the belt she uh, he was favored in the debut i thought forest woodsman was better but siesta beach did get going late those are uh horses i'm on, i'll be looking at and uh, including in some combos the five i like the most five three seven one as we move to race number six, let's close out the pick five with five, four, and one Malibu Mambo from the inside. No knocks. Don't have to tell you much about this one. Five to two on the morning line. He's a major player. He will be uh, like a measuring stick for this race. The four and the five, uh, Golden Glider, he's trying turf for the first time. He does have a winning turf sib. There just doesn't look like there's that much speed in here. I think Hadassah has an opportunity to steal this race and to get brave up front. Last time they went way faster than the type of fractions he would set in here. And he was right there pushing it and sub 23 fractions to the first quarter mile. They should not have to go anything close to that fast in this spot. I like the five on top. I'm going five, four, one to close out the Sunday pick five at Woodbine Sunday, July the 16th, four days on the racing week right now, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'm going to talk about the Woodbine pick five, 50,000 guaranteed pools on Thursday and Friday, hundred thousand guaranteed on Saturday and Sunday. And you can always play for a 20 cent based wager. Good luck and make sure to get involved with all the great racing up at Woodbine. Time to talk some Louisiana Downs racing. We are going to talk about July the 16th. We are going to talk about Sunday. I have a couple best bets for you on the card in races two and six. Both of them, eight to one shots on the morning line. And we are going to dive into the daily racing form past performances. I'm always looking at DRF formulator past performances. And you can actually get these daily racing form past performances that we are going to look at for free when you sign up and wager with DRF bets. Now let's take a look at how, what you need to do. DRF bets, sign up for an account, use the promo code winning, and they will give you a $10 free bet immediately when you register. Then when you deposit, you deposit 250 because that's the max. They will give you a matching deposit bonus of 250. So all of a sudden you put in 250, it's now 510 bucks. Oh yeah. And they'll give you 10 free formulator cards. You can use them anywhere you want. Louisiana Downs, Saratoga, Del Mar with those big racing meets. 
all throughout the summer. Um, Woodbine, I'm going to be covering races from Woodbine a lot. Wherever you're playing the races, you can use credit to get those past performances later on. Then every time you wager another 50, boom, you get another credit for past performances. That is through drf.com when you wager and when you sign up with DRF bets. Again, go through those steps and use the promo code winning. Now we are going to dive on into Sunday for Louisiana Downs. Oh, yeah. Also, they have uh, particular shops set up. So if you're someone who plays Saratoga and Del Mar, they've got the clocker reports, betting strategies, all the help you need for playing Saratoga and Del Mar this year. Let's see if I can get you a little help for Louisiana Downs. Let's go to race number two on Sunday, July the 16th. We are going to look at the number two in this one in the second. And this horse is 8-1 to one on the morning line. Um, Guan, uh, Guanajuato. Now, few things I like about her overall. This four-year-old filly, she's been pretty consistent when you go through her form. Now, she's going to go second start off the short break now, and she comes off a really nice effort where she was second against 5,000 non-winners of two. That was against Open Company. Now she's moving in with Louisiana Bread, so this is actually a little bit of a class drop down for her. And she's cutting back. Now, five furlongs could be a little short, but... When you look at the rest of this field, it doesn't feel like your typical group of five furlong horses because they're not really those five furlong horses that can fly. The one hasn't been flashing as much speed as of late. The three isn't like a speed demon. It kind of can sit close. I think she just doesn't really want to go that far, and I could see them being more aggressive. But these aren't really fast horses that are going to make the two outrun in here. The four, again, not all that fast. Like, we're not talking about legitimate sprint speed type horses. We've seen it a little from the, the six. But even then, when we look at the fractions, we're not talking about really, really fast. The seven is probably the horse that they will all have to catch in here. But this is a horse who's been hard to trust at just one for 25 overall. And then you have CC Wave, um, I think another one who could be forwardly placed. So now you have sort of projecting the two maybe be sitting like fourth in here, mid-pack. I don't think this one will have to come from too far out of it. I think she'll be fitter now with that race under her, cutting back. And if you just compare her and some of her better races, she's got like three or four races that would be really competitive and probably win this race. Like one of the main contenders in here, CC Wave, she crushed by six. And CC Wave is seven to two on the morning line, and she's eight to one. Now a lot has happened since then, but I do think this is a horse who's a little bit underrated because she doesn't have some huge speed figures, but she kind of has consistent ones in the spots that matter. You can eliminate her race two starts back on March the 11th. I think the race is going a mile, even though she ran well in one of them. I think that's probably farther than what she would like. I feel like the six-ish range, six and a half, is probably her best. You could even see seven furlongs on the off track. We could eliminate that race. You start kind of plucking out three or four races from her um, her resume, and now she looks a little bit better. Uh, I like her at eight to one on the morning line. I think you know if we can get anything around nine to two plus, to me that's representing fair value on her. Let's move to race number six, and we're going to take a look at the number eight. In this one, another horse who is 
eight to one on the morning line. Now this sixth race is a Louisiana bred optional 25 and it's a non winners of two. Let's flip the daily racing form past performances on over to race number six. And in diving through the field, I thought this race would have a pretty good amount of early speed in here. Cause you know, when you have a horse like the two Scarlet's blackjack in the race, they're going to be going fast early because he's fast early. The one Pickens, he's not as fast as some of the others in here, but he has the rail draw and he has Jose Guerrero aboard, which could mean he really doesn't have many other choices. Um, he might be forced to have to go a little bit, at least to secure nice positioning. You have a horse like Wise Anchor who didn't show as much speed last time out, but certainly is capable of being right there and close to it. You have G Wildcat, who really, really quick and always right there or just off the early lead. Sammy Dancer Jr., also pretty quick. Now, you know, you look through this field, Prado's priority might even be the fastest. And they really could be flying in here. I think it sets up well for the number eight, all Tirana, who's now going to make his third start off the bench. He should get some pace to chase in here. You see, he's been behind sharp horse after sharp horse after sharp horse. Every horse that's been beating him is a horse that's come back and run well. They're always horses who just get more of a tactical jump on him because he he doesn't have as much early speed. But this is the type of race that should set up really well for him with a lot of other horses that are going to be going fast early. I like the number eight, All Toronto, who is eight to one on the morning line. The eights are wild there. At uh, Louisiana Downs on Sunday, talking about July the 16th. Best of luck on Sunday. Races two and six for my two plays. For more, subscribe to the podcast. That's what G said. Make sure to always give me a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where videos for everything will be posted. So if you're a fan of Louisiana Downs, if you're a fan of Saratoga, if you're a fan of Del Mar, Woodbine, we'll have videos for all of those tracks coming up. Uh, basically every day through the next few months and we'll have segments and coverage of them on the podcast as well make sure to always head the daily racing form drf for your past performances and good luck playing louisiana downs this weekend on sunday Let's talk some Louisiana Downs for Monday, July the 17th. And like always, we're going to dive into those daily racing form past performances. You can get daily racing form past performances for free when you are a DRF Bets member. And you will actually be able to get a bunch of free stuff right away when you sign up for DRF Bets right off the bat. Use that promo code winning and you'll get a $10 free bet. Then when you deposit, you want to do the number 250 because that's the max you can do. They'll match all the way up to that. So your 250 turns into 500 plus the 10 for the registration bet. So now all of a sudden you've got 510 bucks to start with and you have 10 free formulator past performances. Then every time you wager 50, boom, you get another credit. So if you're wagering a lot, you're not going to have to be uh, paying for past performances. You'll be able to use the same past performances that I'm going to show you 
right here in just a minute with the DRF formulator where you can look at the charts, you can look at the race replays, you can look at the pedigree information, trainer statistics, anything you need there with DRF.com. So we're going to dive into Monday. I'm going to look at races two and four for Monday as we pull up the past performances. Let's dive into the Monday racing at Louisiana. And I've got an 8-to-1 shot and a 10-to-1 shot on the morning line. So hopefully we can get you some prices with some nice value here. First one we're looking at is the number two, Bebo. Uh, Bebo is exiting a couple races going a mile and 70 yards. And now we'll cut back to a six-for-long uh, six sprint. It's a $5,000 non-winners of two race. And there is very little other proven speed in here at the sprint distance. So I think that the two B-Bow, just kind of by process of elimination, could be kind of close in here. Now, let's look at him, or I keep saying him, let's look at her overall, B-Bow. Her first three races were all on a sloppy track at Oaklawn. We don't even know really how fast early on she is because since then we've seen her forwardly placed in both of those races she may be a little faster than we think she just may not have liked the sloppy racetrack that's very valid it's very likely also the races where it was a sloppy racetrack those were in tougher spots she was facing arkansas breads but she was facing maiden special weights and higher level maiden claimers this is a 5,000 non-two race where the one hasn't shown any speed in any of her eight starts early on the three martique miss we haven't seen any type of early speed recently at all and and she's cutting back from going a little farther hit him up has not shown much speed at all recently i think the key to the race might be the five can can cutie because she's actually coming out of some of the quicker races just some of the the sprint races so she could by default just be on the lead if she's sitting in the same spots where she's been sitting recently. I don't really have many knocks on her in this field. I just prefer the two because you're going to get better value there. The two is lightly raced with more upside. I think we can be more forgiving. You look at Can Can Cutie, who's just one for 13 overall, one for 10. Some of these races, she doesn't really have as many excuses as you can look at the two and go, okay, those first three races were all in the slop. Then she wins. And then last time out, you know, she's forwardly placed in a race and she just sort of stops. And now she's going to cut all the way back. Third start off the long layoff for a barn who's been awesome all meet, a jockey who's been really good all meet. A, they've been teaming up and hitting in around like 29, 30% with big sample sizes too. We're not talking about just a few. And then, you know, continuing to go through the field, wait on me isn't that fast early. Bell Pepper isn't that fast early again another one who like maybe just will be a little closer in here because there's not much other speed and then you have kaylee shadow who maybe just because she's coming out of five and a half race you know again she could be close up i really think the two is in a good spot here with some upside sneaky form overall can be forgiving about some of those races that's the number two b bow who is eight to one on the morning line if we can get anything over seven to two i think that's fair and then moving to race number four, made in $5,000 claimers going seven furlongs on the dirt. I'm going to go to the number seven in here. She's my smoke show. I would be surprised if she's 
this high just based on the connections with Jose Guerrero and with Shane Wilson. And from the outside, she has really good speed. She's going to cut back from mile to seven. And she's going to drop in class down to the maiden 5,000 level. So she'll hit a career low inside of her. She's coming off of a a race on paper. was on a, a muddy track. Two starts back, she was on a good turf course. And then prior to that, she's facing this a lot tougher. And the one thing she's shown us in almost all of her races is speed with a very good speed rider and a perennial leading trainer here. I think she's hard to leave out of all of your exotics going through the rest of the field. You know, the one Lexington diamond comes off of a good effort last time out, but Guerrero is going to go and ride for Wilson as expected. And I feel like she's my smoke show. We'll be able to get out of the gate early, sort of look over, see what's everyone doing. And then Jose can figure out when to push the button 10 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything over kind of had her like way down in like the seven to two ish range too. So I think, that's, I think sometimes that's what you have to do, right? Because sometimes in your own head, you have to make a value line and you're going to be right and you're going to be wrong sometimes. So I'm not in, for me, I think she's shorter in here. So if, if she is shorter than, if she's anything above that, that represents a lot of value to me if she is in this 10 to one range. And sometimes you're just dead wrong, but that's what you have to do. You got to bet on yourself when you feel like there might be, be a difference. So I think she'll come down a little bit, anything over seven to two, We'll be riding on She's My Smoke Show. That's on Monday over at Louisiana Downs. Best of luck this week at LAD. Every day there's racing at Louisiana. I'll send in a video over there with a couple best bets. We'll always have a few plays early on the podcast. That's what G said. And uh, we hope you will tune in, spread the word. Anyone that you know likes to play the races at Louisiana Downs, let them know. And we will have even more content coming on their big days. In the next few weeks, we will have some guests joining us to talk about maybe a pick four and pick five sequence. So more to come from Louisiana Downs. Good luck on Monday. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, maybe. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby, just spell it out. C-E-R-A candles. Dot com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm-hmm. C-E-R-A candles.com. All natural soy wax. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off your purchase let's move on over to the world of wrestling chad cooper joins us to talk about everything going on in wwe with raw smackdown nxt aew dynamite collision it's this week in wrestling with chad cooper here it is folks fight of the night i'm trying to claim that belt once and for all it's this week's wrestling recap all right come down and here he is your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's time for another edition of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. Coming off of a, a week last week where SmackDown was doing ratings like 
some of Chad Cooper's social media posts. <laughs> SmackDown did its best number in the 18 to 49 since a show that followed an NFL game in 2020. They got a .76, and it would have been the highest number of the week on any show on network TV the last week. Could one of the the highest. And the closest I think ever for a wrestling show actually being number one in the network ratings. The opening segment peaks around three million plus. And Chad, it's it's all about the bloodline. And I think it's sort of fascinating to compare what has happened with two the two different shows with the two different companies, WWE and AEW, with what they're doing around their uh, their main title, the world title, because. While this bloodline storyline has been amazing and the ratings have shown, people are tuning in, people are loving it. Roman, Jimmy, Jay, Solo, um, Paul Heyman, Sammy, Kevin Owens, everybody that's been involved has done a fantastic job. But what it did was it forced WWE to create another title because their world title wasn't really being defended a whole lot. It's, it reminds me a little bit of what's happening with AEW because it's MJF is now in this storyline that's not revolving around the title. And while it's entertaining, it's got nothing to do with the world title. Like at least the bloodline stuff, now the Usos want that belt. People have come after Roman to try to get it from him. Um, and, and WWE was sort of forced into that. I thought it was fascinating because we're watching a world champion on AEW show um, kind have a a storyline that's polarizing right now. We'll get to AEW in a minute, Chad. But overall, just fantastic stuff. I mean, week in, week out, another layer to this story. Roman looked like he was going to apologize, say sorry. He gets down on his knees to acknowledge Jay, and then he gives him a low blow. Oh, my <laughs> God, Roman Reigns, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, the first 40 minutes of SmackDown was dedicated to the bloodline segment. And we, and was trial a trial of yeah. Roman Reigns <clears throat> and very, very compelling. Um, it was the, the fallout show from the PLE money in the bank where we saw Roman get pinned. And a lot of people thought the world was ending because Roman lost and they come back the following Friday and do this and peak. Three million, and now there's really, really uh, an interesting layer uh, to this dynamic storyline because I thought where there were some indications that the bloodline story would probably wrap up for now at SummerSlam, but this thing has become uh, the, the hottest thing on television, literally to sit and watch what the Usos solo Roman and Paul Heyman's going to do every Friday night. I don't, I don't know if you're, if they're justified by ending this at SummerSlam. It's just, just when you think, Oh, is it too much? Is it too much? I mean, it peaked at 3 million. That's unheard of in wrestling term wrestling television these days. It's just unbelievable what they did. And, uh, I, I don't see I, I don't see how they can end it at, to, at SummerSlam, but we're definitely going to finally get what Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns we think get uh, and SummerSlam now it's funny, for the world title. They've put themselves in this position now where it's like, 
We are already in July. So you've got a match with Jay, maybe one with both the Usos, maybe one with like Solo, and and they're near the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, who knows if someone like a Randy Orton comes back into the picture on either side, but I mean he's he's to WrestleMania again. Sure. Already with with like who's set up for him, it felt it felt at the time like, oh no, we're gonna have another year of this. But tr- is Triple H was right in that they did have more story to tell. And now I'm still conflicted because while I look back and say, okay, maybe it shouldn't have been Drew McIntyre, maybe it shouldn't have been Sammy, maybe it shouldn't have been Cody. I it still maybe could have been one of them, and they they still could have told this story, but I think the fact that Roman's still the champ. People care more about it. The story means more. And wow, as we said, we had a 40-minute segment to open up SmackDown. And it was just one of those things where it was so good, it just kept going. And they're just, they're money. And that's what's going to be, right? We're going to get Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns. And I don't think one of the, I don't think that either of the Usos or Solo are going to be the one that win that title from him. No, That's what's either. crazy. That's what's crazy. Even though, like we've said, for the story, that would make the most sense. Yeah. For it to be someone from the family, but it's on the grander scale, I don't think they're big enough stars to be the one to take it away from Roman. So it's really conflicting, and it's going to be fascinating to see when they actually pull pull the string. Who's going to be the one that they walk in that day and say, oh, yeah, you're you're the guy that's beating Roman Reigns. Because <laughs> they did even just pinning Roman recently was a big deal. Oh, it was a really big deal. We don't see that happen often. So that's a big feather in the cap of Jey Uso. Will they give him a little bit more? One thing we didn't see on the show, but we saw on social media, our guy L.A. Knight. When he, yeah, when he comes out. <laughs> uh for the live crowd, they go nuts. He interrupts the hit row segment, but he's not on the show. Now, I'm hoping it was because they've got something set up for him coming this week, Chad. It looked like it was a clean way for them to end stuff with Austin Theory and Sheamus. They had a match for the U.S. title. Austin Theory gets a cheap win with the roll-up. Maybe it was because they were going to put a bow on that. I'd love on Friday if Austin Theory's out there and L.A. Knight interrupts him or we get some sort of a number one contenders match for the U.S. title that's won by L.A. Knight. We're all sort of trying to talk this into existence because it feels like he should be somewhere now with a big match at SummerSlam. The worst thing that could happen would be for him to not be on SmackDown this week and not have a match on SummerSlam after all of this Natural momentum he's built up He needs to be on the show this week He needs to have a match A big one at SummerSlam A one-on-one match A big moment It's not 100% necessary that he wins the US title I'm just saying that as Wow, he's on SmackDown He could go take that from Austin Theory Who's not not a hot character right now No, and he was Remember uh, all the good things we were saying about Austin Theory. This kid has it, and he definitely has been put on the back burner with this title. Uh, Ever since the draft, it just, SmackDown has not felt uh, the perfect part uh, for him. 
And speaking of that segment, they released that segment of L.A. Night with Hit Row on social media. And I didn't look at the numbers on the Instagram or the YouTube. I only looked at the WWE numbers of that segment on Twitter. And they just a day after, on Saturday, that thing was over 2 million views on Twitter. What does that mean? I went down for the last day or two looking at WWE stuff, the same type of stuff they post. Nothing even hit a million views. I think the highest was Roman, a Roman segment with 750,000. Two million views. And look, you can't doctor these views. You can't. We can't just sit there and click, 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 click. Oh, we're no. going to get this guy two million views. If he's not on SmackDown this Friday and he's not in a meaningful position for SummerSlam, his character is all sense and purposes probably over in the WWE. They have to they have to object this guy into a situation to to put him against Austin Austin Theory or somebody or it's going to get ugly. The fans will start hijacking the Friday night show. They'll turn. Um, also on a Friday, we had a really nice spot for Grayson Waller. While he didn't oh, man. win, this was oh. good for him because he's in the last few weeks finally started to, to be able to have a little bit of his personality coming out there. Now he he was really bland, and he gets to go out and have a fifteen minute match with Edge. This was really good for him. It was nice to see Edge back, who hasn't been around on SmackDown quite as much. Maybe we get a Roman match with something with him in the mix again. Um, I could see. Uh, just getting some good use out of Edge And we saw Edge a, a lot on the show He was, you know, in the Waller He was part of the uh, the Waller effect And then the two had a 15 minute match A little later on the card So um, I thought lots of positives there And it's a good A good episode of Smackdown They didn't rush anything What'd you think of uh, of Grayson Waller He's in a lot better spot than the guy we saw Right after him, Karrion oh, Cross, oh Who's gosh. getting pinned by AJ yeah, Waller is. You don't even remember him coming up from NXT now, right? I You're think, right. Uh, this felt like a was, fresh start. This like felt like the first day he was there. Yeah, this. Uh, I think he was dealing with an injury. Maybe some people said a fractured, maybe even a broken leg. Uh, this guy's a star. A bona fide heel is what the WWE loves to have. He was on the. If you watch the the YouTube WWE social media show, the bump on Wednesday. It's good. It's good. He was, he was on there. He's just uh, someone you love to hate and he's going to be an incredible hill. Not only can he do it on the mic, but he can do it in the ring. This guy has got a bright future and he's already a star. That's and, and that's something that's rare when you come up from NXT. We'll have to figure out something for Karrion Cross. It just hasn't worked. For I don't him. know what is. And I mean, either I, you and, know me, I'm a cross guy, and there's just nothing there, man. There's it, the, it's just not connecting right now nope. the way it was nope. in NXT, whether it's just a complete package. So we'll see if they can uh, if they can find a way to, to build some momentum for him. We then had Asuka, Bianca, Charlotte all interact. EO shows up, attacks Asuka with the money in the bank. Bailey is out there in the mix, too. So there's a lot happening with them. You almost felt like, feel like, there's a way to get all of them yeah. in a match, right? Sure. Do they do some sort of a like five way match here, um, or do you think they split it? Do you do you think we get the three like the triple threat, and then maybe Bailey and EO something with them? We haven't gotten the Bailey EO turn yet, though. Right. I think we'll right. do that first. Me too. I That's wouldn't got- think you would just interject the money in the bank 
briefcase winner into a championship match because it's they're kind of doing similar on the raw side too right with priest right right? so i don't you don't need to do that you can have them in in the area and teasing it a lot without necessarily having to put them in that match and it's probably what they'll do here but you know one thing as we finish up uh with smackdown yeah edge waller and then we had uh the main event segment with Roman Reigns coming back again next week. Oscar against Bianca Belair for the women's championship, and I'm sure Charlotte gets involved. Who knows how Bailey and Io are in the mix? But as we move on over to Raw, I was saying to you when we were talking their night just on Raw, and we just went through SmackDown and, and talked about how SmackDown's going well. Everything with the Bloodline looks good. I think the women's story. Oscar, Charlotte, Bianca all are interesting. I'm intrigued in what's going to happen with Bailey and with EO, the both of them. LA Knight, very over. Hopefully we can find a good spot for him. I think there are a lot of positives there. And then as we go to Raw, Seth Rollins is as over as he's ever been right now. Cody Rhodes did not win the world title at WrestleMania. We were worried about what was going to happen. Hell, it's just it's gotten better for him. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. He's more over. The crowd really is more over for him. Everywhere he goes, he gets that monster baby face reaction. Judgment Day was all over Monday Night Raw. They were all <laughs> over NXT. This is the best version of Damian Priest we've ever seen. Dominic is getting the most heat of anyone in the entire company. Rhea Ripley is the most over female. And Finn Balor is... The best version of Finn Balor right now Again, he's really interesting And he's got a good like Aggressive edge to him Sammy and KO They don't really have much going on But they're just like the the real safe guys Who anytime they come out You could put them anywhere Like you could put these guys in a tag match right now Or in a, a main event spot In singles against anyone You hit on Maxine The crowd loves this Alpha Academy angle It's goofy But here's what I don't mind about it, right? It's a fun, silly angle. It's in the middle of the card. Sure. Where where fun, silly angles could and should be on a variety show that is a wrestling show. Not necessarily fun comedy in the main event. I don't I don't like that as much. I want the main event and the main title to be a little bit more serious. People even get mad that Seth Rollins is too gonna goofy a character sometimes to be in the main event and we get comedy other places. Shayna Baszler She's the yeah. best she's ever been Ever yeah. Within three weeks And these are just on Raw And again I'm hitting bullet points But the one thing I wanted to start with Was because I heard some people Say they didn't think this was good I thought Ricochet was fantastic On Monday Night Raw I did I, too I, did I too. thought he gave the best promo He's ever cut in his entire life I thought there was about a 10 second period at the very beginning where he just needed to find his voice a little bit because that's what it is your tone, your delivery, your cadence. It's not like you and I are talking with each other on the phone, right? right. You go out there, you get that microphone, it's got the boom, you hear yourself and it reverberates. You got to know do I pick? It's just little things, and Ricochet doesn't get reps like this at all. When's the last time we've seen Ricochet in the ring cutting a promo? Years, honestly, <laughs> honestly, years. He backstage. I can remember a few times where he's backstage, and Renee asks him a question, and he cuts a little, 
minute or 30 second something to build up a match. I don't think we've seen him do something like this since he was in NXT. And no, no. And so he comes out there. The crowd never booed him at any point. They never stole it from him. They never tried to crap all over him. And as soon as he could sense the crowd was behind him, all of a sudden you could feel a more bass in his voice. His words were comfortable. I don't think he flubbed any lines. It wasn't like he forgot his words. The only thing that happened was Logan Paul, who is an incredible talker and is like one of the best. He's a podcast host that literally sits down and talks for a living. When he comes out there, he's a better talker overall than Ricochet. Sure, if that's what people were saying, I didn't feel like Ricochet was outmatched here. I didn't think he felt like he shouldn't be in the ring with him. To me, he felt like he belonged. I thought he looked like a star too. While he's small, he's not tiny, right? He's still thick enough and in good shape and has enough muscle to where it's not like he's just some tiny guy in there. And then he has that incredible flip over the top rope, lands right in front of you like a freaking yeah. superhero. Like that's li- like I'm watching my Marvel MCU shows. They don't even land that good when you can stop and film the freaking movie. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> So I thought it was weird because I came, I told you right away while while this was happening, I'm like texting you like, oh my God, Ricochet. Like I was so excited for him. This was the biggest moment of his life. And I think they're going to go on. And I honestly think him and Logan Paul are going to steal the show at at SummerSlam. It's going to be something else. That's for sure. Um, Yeah, that flip um, is live. and, And if he doesn't stick that, uh, he's in trouble. You probably have a very difficult time recovering from that because then everyone, you know, Logan Paul's going to make fun of you. Then the crowd's going to jump. I think he did that one time back in NXT when he had a uh, feud with Velveteen Dream. I think he mm-hmm. did that during a promo and he pulled that off. Uh, the match is going to be fantastic. If you are a super Ricochet fan, I would think Logan Paul probably finally gets a win in WWE. Um, and and not. I think it should be I I think it should be kind of cheap. Yes, because he's a heel, right? So, sure. Sure. like, can his brother be in the mix? Sure, right? Somebody, something like that. Where I'd love that. But you brother, know they're going to get fifteen or twenty minutes, and you know they're going to have a he- so many good spots to watch. What is the health of Braun Strowman? Who I don't know. Good question. We don't see much of him at all because he's been hurt for a while. Could. Could we get something like a tag? Well, it, it leads to maybe a tag or maybe even leads to some sort of something at SummerSlam where we could get like a, lo- a team Logan Paul. That might be kind I of fun. See that. I can right? See like that. an old school Survivor Series match. He might be someone that got a kick out of that where he could like get a team of bad guys like him, his brother, and then, you know, two other heels they get from the main roster. That might be kind of fun, and I could see, like, Ricochet, Braun Strowman, and you get, you know, L.A. Knight, you know, and, like, or a couple, another babyface team. I'm just spitballing here, but you can make it so Ricochet looks great. Ricochet looks like he's going to win. Somebody comes in, gets involved, and that helps Logan get the win. I think that's the best way to to, to book or that you match. Could just, or, or they go singles at SummerSlam and rerun that series team at Survivor Series. Yeah. It, you know, in November. 
Oh yeah, I, th- I think they're going singles at SummerSlam for sure, right? And sure. then I'm saying and then you could run of, it back. Exactly. Like end of the match, he che- Logan cheats, gets the win. Next night, Ricochet says something, and here comes Braun. Sure. You know he's like back, that. and he's got like his that. like his muscle. They're out there against the Pauls. They can do some fun, impressive stuff with the big Braun Strowman. Mm-hmm. I'm fantasy booking here, but shout out to Ricochet and oh, Logan yeah. Paul. This is going to be the biggest match of his career, and I thought. He did a really good job in his first big build for this. Even, you know, Chelsea trying to buddy up to Rhea. You know, yeah, Rhea, what you said. I thought that was just great stuff. Raquel and just, they, they go, they go, and she said three strikes. And then Chelsea goes, yeah, three strikes like in basketball. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> stupid. Great. Just great. And I, even the Chelsea Green with it. When she announces her every time, it makes me, it pops me. I, and, I love hey, it. Hey, they want they want another match. You they know, did. I, and I, now, you know, they're a fit in this tag team division. Now we know who they are, and that's what's great. They're the whiny heel team that has shown enough in the ring to where they're capable. Yeah, that, and, and look, that, they they were on the bump again on Wednesday. I always kind of look at little signs. Does Raquel? Have to have the tag team title when she goes one on one with Rhea. Do they uh, lose? SummerSlam. Is that a way to keep setting that up? Do they have her then lose it? Because you could pin Liv. You could pin well, Liv. And you can and, have you know, Rhea be the reason why they lose it. Sure. Rhea gets distracts them. They're distracted. I, and maybe it's a different. I just don't see the WWE having a tag champion who is also a world champion. I don't know. When you don't need to as much right anymore. Like this was something we used to see. Convoluted. You talk about convoluted. Then she's going to have to defend two different titles. And that's what we're kind of heading towards. It looks like in AEW, which bothers me a little bit. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Um, Other stuff to point out. I mean, it was all about the judgment day. We saw the judgment day all throughout the show. They continued to pump these guys up. So what'd much you think that, about what you think about Zoe and I saw some complaints about Zoe and uh, Becky Lynch's match. It wasn't maybe as good as we would think it would be because it was more of a storyline. It's more of the story and the angle continuing, I think, than letting them go out there. But in all of this, I think Zoe's looked good. Yeah, yeah. So and, I and do too. what's great about this, Chad, is that throughout this. She's been able th- this is like Paul Heyman booking 101. When when we talked about Zoe in NXT, some of her weaknesses were her promos and the character, but we never said a bad word about her in the ring ever. Her intensity, how hard she works, she makes it look real. Everything. I love watching her matches. The problem is after the match, it would be hard to build. Now she's got someone like Trish, she's got a character, she's got a storyline. She doesn't really have to talk. You know, she just gets to go, go, go out here there and do what she does well. I think she's looked pretty good throughout this. And I don't know if you saw Becky wearing her Lady Gaga stuff last night <laughs> at the ESPYs with, uh, yeah. with, with Rollins. Um, again, like, think about the women's storylines, though, we've got going. So just on SmackDown, you've got Bianca, Asuka, Charlotte in a story. You've got EO, Bailey in a story. On Monday Night Raw, you've got Trish, Zoe, Becky, all in a storyline. You've got 
Rhea now involved what looks like with Raquel and Liv. That's branching between Raquel and Liv in the tag team with Chelsea and with Sonya. We've got Ronda and we've got Shayna. These are all different women's feuds. That's remarkable because they all feel like they're in pretty good places or like they're all over right now. And it's not always that way, right? Even just like two months ago, it wasn't that way. So I'm not trying to pretend like it's always that way. It's just remarkable to see, wow, they've got a ton of like solid women's storylines and feuds going on right now. Yeah, regardless if you think Ronda's going back to the UFC or not, this is a place for Shayna to really shine. And we talked about this briefly last week. Shayna needs to go over and be that badass baby face uh, on that roster, she's not taking the p- place of Becky Lynch as being the man, but I think this is to to get Shayna there. That what she was in NXT. I and agree. I think this will help her, and I think she will go over Ronda Rousey at SummerSlam if it lasts that long. I don't even think she has to. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think she's that far away from being there again. It no. it's remarkable how much that one night or those two weeks have done for her. Oh, she's coming out when Ronda came out this week. Everybody was behind Shayna. Yeah, she's she's being presented like the heel in this, but she's one hundred percent the baby. Yes, yes. In this, uh, <laughs> and sometimes that's where things can get a little bit wonky when they're backwards. That's but, true. That's true. But uh, you know, they've continued the build for Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor. Damian Priest has said, "I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to let you go first, and then I will jump in." So it felt like Judgment Day was all on the same page here. We got the buddy cop movie of Drew McIntyre and Matt Riddle. And uh, <laughs> next week, Riddle's going to face Gunther. They teased a little something with Vinci. Yeah. After. Yeah. Which is a little bit weird. Now, Gunther was doing this at the be- the very beginning of his run. You remember for a while where he would just, like, demean these guys? And, like, yes. beat the crap out of them? And they sort of stopped doing that for a while. I wonder if... That's something they're going to do, or if maybe they they like the way it was set up with Gunther and just Kaiser. Not sure, but at least something worth mentioning because they uh, they did tease that. Now, other things to mention from Monday Night Raw. We already talked about Dom, and it was just a ton of like a ton of Judgment Day that Ricochet Logan Paul segment, which I thought. What do you think about the uh, No DQ match, Miz and the return of Tommaso? What I loved was. Corey Graves at that point was like Doing a bunch of talking about a bunch of different Things and he was setting the match up He said no DQ match coming Up and he he, it was you know This happens when Corey is on Live TV all week and And honestly on the show now on Raw with Kevin Patrick he Carries a lot of the weight you know Corey does he's been around for a while you could Tell a lot of times Kevin's setting Something up and Corey has he's Got the bullet point he has to hit or he's Got the Here's what we want to do to get this guy over or this girl over or and he just totally like had a brain fart where he didn't know what he was saying. And he's like, <laughs> there's got a no disqualification match coming up. And th- that means, I mean, Kevin, help me out. And Kevin just goes, there are no rules. It was so funny to me because it was just like, you're, I, I've been in that moment many a times where you're just on, on live TV and you're sort of frozen for a second and you can't get your thought. And he just said, Kevin Patrick, there are no rules. It was just great. Made me laugh. Um, <laughs> other, 
You, you, you get Bronson. They get. I was going to ask you what we. You know, they were holding back Bronson Reed. Now we see he's, he's going to be partnered with the Miz, and, or he's just going after Tommaso. And this is good because yeah. th- what this did was a lot of things. One gets Tommaso and Bronson involved in something on our TV more. We love to see these guys both. We they're fresh. It would be nice to see them in the mix. Two, the Miz just keeps on his string of really good matches. Like this was like a Tommaso Ciampa match. It was aggressive. It was hard hitting, and Miz kept up with him. And Ciampa was going to win until Bronson interferes. So it does a good job of not making Ciampa look like you know either dumb or weak in losing to Miz. This was all about Bronson. Major positives there, like Champa now. It's probably the best Champa's best position he's ever been in on the main roster right now. And can you sense where they're going with this, Chad? Because now you've got Miz and Bronson Reed. That should set up a situation where it's the two of them against Champa. Champa's yeah. probably getting beat down. Who do you think's going to come out to make the save, or oh, yeah. could be the tag team partner if we get a tag match at SummerSlam? Johnny Gargano. Johnny G, Johnny Wrestling. And that would be the best thing for him. He would finally have a purpose. He was floundering. I think he got hurt for a little while too, but he didn't have any... When a guy or a gal on the roster doesn't have a story, they don't have anything to shoot for, they can really get lost in the shuffle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you gotta have some sort of direction. And Maxine Dupree, she has direction right now. Love it. Love it. It's fun. It's funny, it's silly The last jacket that you're ever gonna wear That Letterman's (laughs) The Alpha Academy jacket I wanna freaking see the Creed's Come up and put those jackets on And I wanna see um, Rex Steiner put the jacket on too If we get Ron Breaker up there But I I think Fun And now, now I'm also wondering If the Vikings are gonna take the jacket And do something Viking to it because they yeah, stole because the jacket, they right? They stole the jackets, and they have a match next week. With so Gable are we going to get the Viking horns on the jacket? Oh, or yeah, some they're going to have holes like, in it. Yes. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be decorated and set up that way. Um, Fun, middle of the card, variety show. Yes. Every, every wrestling show has a place for comedy. And needs I think, one, yes. And I think it should be there. Um, I wouldn't like this if this was the world title, though. I would think it needed to be a little more serious. That doesn't mean you can't have comedy or your world champion can't be funny. We saw The Rock and other guys be funny. It just has to sort of fit. This fits. I like it. Good promo from Cody, man. Um, I think John Pollock on uh, Post Wrestling said, Cody is like, he's such a good talker. It's almost like he's above wrestling. He needs to go be like a motivational speaker. Or something like when he's done wrestling, he's going to be someone who goes and speaks at schools or events, or he can be like a politician. Honestly, I could see Cody being like a local city council or congressman like down where he lives because he, if you read the words of his promos, they sound so corny. Oh, yeah. Like they're, they're like white meat baby face. A lot of people couldn't read those words and get away with it. it. People would cringe. And I think the whole time with Cody, since he came back at Royal Rumble, because when he came back at Rumble, 
he was hurt and it was Sammy's time. And so we had been worried all along. Are the crowd going to be that into him? Because it feels like he was over and then he's been gone. And now they're coming back and they're shoehorning him in. And he's everything that he's been given. Every time I have a worry of, uh Oh, this may not go over. Well, he performs so well that that just doesn't happen. Like he, he gives his, he cuts his promo. He exudes the confidence, the body language, the way he walks around the ring and looks at the hard can, the presence, and everything he does is honestly as good as any other pro wrestler that's on the roster right now. It's at performing their craft, at being a pro wrestler and all of the things that it comes with. This guy, he's got, he's figured it out. It's not always going to be this way, but we haven't heard. For Cody in now a year and a couple months since he's been in WWE, has he had one crowd ever boo him or ever turn on him or ever feel like he wasn't like really, really over there? No, I think we had one instance where was it right after Mania. It could have been, yeah, or it was right it was after before. The Royal I think Rumble. it was before Mania when the it was crowd right was after the Royal sensitive. Rumble. He comes out because people thought Sammy's it. Sammy was supposed to win it, and he bought into it. And he said, "Hey, I thought Sammy was going to win it too, but you know what, guys?" And he sort of that flipped promo? it. He flipped it, and there was never an issue because it could have got ugly then. Because I remember us talking about it, but he flipped it. It, ha- it does get ugly, and it has gotten ugly for guys just like him that were Absolutely. over and can't that recover just- from it. And and like you said, you're over, and that's why I always say you got to strike when the iron's hot. You yes. got to go right now because you normally don't get back to where you were because people normally don't. They're just not like an A plus performer. Like if you go no. out there with a B or a B minus promo, some weeks you're gonna and lose I, that crowd I, or some of the people in that audience. And he doesn't lose anyone ever. Every person ever, and including me, I believe every word he's telling me all the time. I do. And I, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I remember him saying, "Hell, I, I I'm, I would be mad too. I, I'm one of y'all. We are chasing a champion who is never here on Monday night. And Sammy is one of those guys, and he deserves a spot. But so do I. You know, Bob. And he, he was able to turn because." They were ready to turn. Even, you know, even me, I even thought Sammy should win this Rumble and go on winning this title. They did it to Cody. They come out on Raw. That He starts getting booed a little bit. The Sammy chance, and he flipped the script, and we've yet to have another problem with him. That's how good that was. Not even 1% of the workers can do that what no. he did that night. No. And what he's done since just consistently, you know, he's even, we've heard him talk about, like backstage, um, what it was like at WrestleMania that day when Triple H told him he wasn't going to win, and he said, "Oh man, my family's here. We got the kids here. Like everyone's there. like, just like hearing him talk about it. Like, yeah, of course I'm disappointed. I'm a human, right? But what what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go out there and sulk and say screw it and then ruin? No, we do have a story to tell. Let's keep telling it. Let's give the best version that we can. And I've been so impressed with him, just oh, yeah. so." Continually impressed What did you think about the tag team champions Losing in a six man in the main event I didn't love it You could tell that they were really good Getting behind the judgment day Here and it almost Almost so much that I think we might get A Damian Priest 
Dominic versus Sammy KO match at SummerSlam. Like it? Do we go that direction? I think we do. And I I could see that. So if that's where we're going to end up, that's fine. Dom gets a ton of heat there. That could be a blast. And that's a nice transition for us to head on into Tuesday because the Judgment Day show up on Tuesday (laughs) for NXT. Freaking Dom. I'm going to start with Dom because (laughs) Dom goes backstage and and, and Wesley's talking. He goes, hey, you're the open challenge guy, right? Want an open challenge? We challenge you. Wesley is like what Yeah I was doing that a few weeks ago I haven't done it since And Dom goes oh yeah Now you're not doing it Cause I'm here That makes sense You're scared of me And Wes is like well, let's do it right now And Dom goes no no Let's do it next week I'll give you a little time Okay so it was Yeah and uh, what Maria say Don't you interrupt dirty Dom Dirty <laughs> dirty Dom it, This was just great And There will be a ton of heat. And I don't know if he should, but man. Well, this was one of our guys in our group was saying, Dom needs to be on NXT. Well, now they got him on NXT. They do. They do. They do. (laughs) DZ. You love this, DZ. As uh, (laughs) Man, again, I don't think he will because they've they've already set up that Ali has something happening with Wesley. But Yeah, the Great American uh, Bash thing. But damn, Dom coming down here was really good. Finn Balor says daddy's home Daddy's and home It does when when Guys like him like come down deal. Let's just say it, it feels it like does. a big deal Feels like a huge deal Next week Dom is going to be wrestling On NXT for the championship uh, The NXT North American championship against Wesley So I mean we're breaking the bloodline Smackdown ratings right With Dirty Dom showing up on NXT Dirty Dom is a needle mover My friend (laughs) I think Dirty Dom Is doing it down there he's gonna break the Rollins number from that NXT did They they had close to 700,000 Against the All-Star game On Tuesday night they're gonna break 7,000 Brother I I know and 700,000 excuse me The Carmelo and Trick Williams Get involved with Judgment Day. I guess that would be my only negative is that this is twice I, now. The Carmelo's Carmelo, got heat. So this can't be a coincidence. We got to be setting up something with Carmelo and Finn. I th- I think or okay. some sort of a thing. I just wonder where they're going because it looks like Finn with Seth at SummerSlam. Well, you got Car- Dragunov who just you know we'll get to. He's the number one contender now. And man, he he is quietly becoming Dude, one of my guys. Enemy. Yeah, yeah. he he is Again, I, I'm using the word Like real, believable He reminds me in a totally different way Of Daniel Bryan In in that I could see that Every single thing he says It doesn't sound like he's cutting a promo Like I believe he is the person He's telling me that he is That he wants to go out there and fight And struggle and leave it all out And it's passion and it's this And it's your life and it's the way he talks And he has so much intensity in his words, in his promos, and you see it in his matches. And he he and Braun Breaker have – the reason why this match was so freaking good, they basically tried to have like a 25-minute match in like less than 15 because they didn't have the time that like a, a takeover match or a pay-per-view would. But man, it was so good. And I, I just – I don't want to see Braun anymore now because no. – he, I don't want him to lose again Unless you're going to have him like Beat somebody real quick and then come up Just to give us one last like 
good mo- like thought of him, but Braun has figured out the heel character a little more now. I think that's what they were waiting to do before pulling him up, but I just don't want to see him take any more L's before he comes up. Losing to Melo, losing to Dragonoff, that's fine. I just don't want another loss for him. No, I agree. I agree. I, I have no problems the way uh, this has gone down. Um, you, you know, you have a big show at SummerSlam. What Not Paul White. In- yeah, <laughs> what does what does he get involved with? Um, where do you see him going? Is he a Raw? Is he a SmackDown? Uh, does he get involved with one of the? So I think Braun. You come. You bring up Braun day after uh, SummerSlam. Okay. And then you just start a build with him. Maybe you put him. You interject him right into, you know, a mid card thing. Or do you have him squash guys for a couple weeks with his spear? Let's look super impressive. Does, does he deserve to be the guy that goes immediate immediately up to Seth Rollins for the world champion on Monday night? I don't know. Remember, they already set something up with them not long ago. You know, they had a match on NXT. I don't know if you do that. I could see him coming out and beating a guy like Riddle right away. You know, someone like who's established in the middle of the card and a liked babyface. But what I've been really sort of feeling now lately, and I I heard this on, I think it was Waiting on the Post Wrestling Podcast said. What you have to do now is you have Dragonoff lose this title match to Carmelo, look awesome in defeat, and then we see Dragonoff show up, and on his first night, he's the guy that beats Gunther because we've seen them. They've already had two match of the year candidate matches. They know each other. They've got story from NXT. And from NXT UK If you want to bring this guy up Dragonoff, Make a guy immediately Let everybody know who he is You have him come up And he ends up being a guy Who beats Gunther For that IC title And that's how you can have Gunther Elevated And you make this dude immediately I hadn't really thought about that But now starting yeah. to look at the timing of things It feels like Dragonoff doesn't have too much else to do Right, I think I think he's a main roster guy. Like I think he, they like his promos, his intensity, everything. You get him one more program right now with Mello. You have him lose. What do you think about bringing him up, having him beat Gunther? Then Gunther goes on to Seth Rollins, and you've got Dragonoff there as your IC champ. And then you've got like a real worker there. You could have a blast of all these different Dragonoff matches. He could really do something like an open challenge gimmick. I, I have no problem with that. I love it. My only concerns are: Does WWE, uh, even See though Triple H is run it, you know, bring these guys up and have them immediate success? You did with Guther. Um, you know, you you think you're gonna you're gonna do it with with Braun Breaker? I could see it happening. We we saw the changing of the guard a while back when Triple H started doing things with these NXT call ups. Because how many times before? Gino, have we seen NXT call-ups and they're wrestling on 205 Live or whatever it is now, next level up on Friday night, you know, after they tape or before they tape on SmackDown. I I just think it's a way to keep the momentum rolling, and I think you do that. That's another piece of the puzzle for Monday Night Raw. I love it. I I would sign off on that immediately. I think uh, I texted you this. I saw it somewhere, 
every current champion on the WWE main roster came through NXT on Raw and yeah, on SmackDown. Yeah. Every single one. So if you think about it, over on SmackDown, you've got Roman Reigns came through NXT. You've got Austin Theory as your US champ came through NXT. As the women's champ, you've got Asuka came through NXT. Then on the Raw side, Seth Rollins, your main champ, he came through NXT. Gunther, your IC champ, came through NXT. Rhea Ripley, your women's champ, came through NXT. You've got the women's tag team champions, both Rhea and, or both Raquel and Liv, came through NXT. Every single one of them came through NXT. When you talk about development and, you know, like a minor league system, that's it right there. Like, that's what you're... (laughs) That's what you're looking for. I'm a fan of the Dodgers, and I think people sometimes will say, oh, the Dodgers, they buy all of their talent. Well, no, Chad, they don't. Why why they've been good is because they'll buy one or two of those big free agents that other people get a little cheap on and don't want to spend, but then they develop all that talent, and so you've got the combination of the both of them, right? You had the Kershaws, and you had the Bellingers, and you had the Walker Buellers. You had all these young guys that came all the way up through the Dodgers. Corey Seager was a guy they developed. Jock, they developed. All these guys. And so it's, it's a combination of both, and that's what you get with WWE right now. You have talent that you brought in from other places that were really good, but a lot that you developed because they know your system. They know what you want. They know your way of doing it. Really good stuff. Chase you. I mean, are we going to have Chase you win the tag titles? Or is it going to be <laughs> Tony D and Stax, our guys? I don't think I've ever seen a live interview on wrestling in prison. <laughs> we had a live interview from prison, Chad Coop. And they did, this was a swerve. This was like a double swerve. I'm watching Secret Invasion. This was like something like that, <laughs> where it looked like Stax was against Tony D, but then he was for him. He ain't no rat. He ain't no rat, Chad Coop. This, again, it's funny, right? It's funny stuff, the Chase U stuff. It's funny. It's it's good in the tag division. I think this is where some of these funnier things you can have a little comedy involved, but it'll does, leave. Does, does Thea Hill accidentally win this title? Right. I mean, let, she, let's think about it. She this may be one of those things where I don't I don't know if it was the plan all along. And I gotta say, as much as you and I have loved Tiffany, and I don't really have many knocks on her recently. Oh, I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm a I'll take the word. It's been flat. It's it just hasn't it's been like what happens when a baby face wins the title. It happens all the time with champions. It happens well, all and the time. It's, it's usually less when it's a heel because yes. they can still go out there and just like uh rub it in your face that they're the champion. That's kind of easy, right? When you're a baby face, you don't do that as much because you're you're honest and you're you know you're a good you're a goody goody. But for her I, I did I actually liked at the end um, of her match when she was cutting her promo and how bad she was saying, I didn't tap out. I didn't tap out. Like oh, yeah. that, that part I liked, but overall, if you hadn't been watching NXT for more than a month and you just turned it on right now, you would think Tia Hale was a bigger star than Tiffany Stratton. One, 100%. And that's just over. Remember when she first came in, she was cutting these vignette, vignettes and people were like, man, I, okay. We've already heard Roxanne Perez say that, you know, she just graduated high school or blah, blah, blah. She's I a better don't... version of Roxanne. She's not, 
and I don't I don't mean it like Roxanne no, is a million in ring work right now. Yes, right. Roxanne in but, ring is a million times better. But right? she like, is paired with a super hot over faction that is fun to follow. It's kind of like the new day of the NXT. And her character work is great. It's she great. knows exactly it's who amazing. she is. She and the, what she does is she was given a funny, silly gimmick. She goes all in on that freaking gimmick every time she's out there. There's never a moment where she's half-assing it. Just like we were saying with Cody Rhodes, she, same thing, totally different gimmick. She comes out there and she is absolutely nuts, which is what her character is supposed to be. She's crazy. She's funny. She's bubbly. She's lovable. She's like, oh, I'm gonna go do it. I'm gonna go do it. I'm gonna. She's just. <laughs> it's it's great. And now all of a sudden, we're asking the question: Like, do they just say, okay, hey? Maybe we put it on her. We can get back to Tiffany. Tiffany's super young still. She's a heel. She can lose this, win it back. It won't hurt her right in the long run. Sure. I don't know. I mean, I, just look at the other things going on. You have Cora that's probably going to go one on one. Because if you have Tia, well, think about it. if you have Thea win, you can set up others like a Cora who, you know, she's still. It looks like she's going to have something with Dana Brooke probably at Great American mm-hmm. Bash. She, she had a win. What? She had a win. The match was okay. Cora's ring work still needs to improve a little bit, but her sure. character work is way better now as the heel. She well, it's funny because her Rox and Braun, with, uh, both right, Roxas. were were yeah. the baby faces. They were like sure. the corny baby faces that didn't really work very well. And then her and Braun both turned and aren't they, they're either dating or engaged yeah, or something. They're, they're dating, sure. Yeah. So Poor it's funny because they were both the they were both the the baby faces, and now they both turned and they're the heels, and they're just much better. With with that that character, yeah, and I think what but uh, Roxy's uh, has something going with uh, Blair, yeah, and Gigi still has something going. So those will probably be all payoffs at Great American Bash right at the end of this month in two weeks. So we'll start some new stuff. I'm not saying it'll happen, but I would not be be shocked if they put this title on Thea. No problem with me if they were to do that. So. Other things from NXT. We mentioned Braun. We mentioned Dragonoff. Uh, we had that number one contenders match. That is Dragonoff. Now Stratton got the win over Ivy Nile, which we spoke of. We talked about La- uh, Stax and Tony D. Tony D is free. Stax and Tony D likely against Gallus at the Great American Bash. And we had a. Uh, so next week, Tony D homecoming, Wesley versus Dominic, Gigi versus Kiana, Frazier and Dragon Lee versus Los Lotharios. And uh, yeah, we had the main event match. Finn and Damian Priest picked up the win there. Uh, a very good addition of NXT as we move along to AEW. Now, Collision was a better show this week. I actually think it was probably the best, the best show overall. They promoted the Samoa Joe punk match. Didn't really promote it as much as they could have or should have. Uh, but it, they got 580,000 total. They got a point two one in the demo. So they were fifth overall, I think, on cable that week. They went up big from the week before. But this was one of the bigger matches they had to get to. Um, and they, they don't have as many of these big matches still left as far as you know, as far as what they have to go to, um, there was an awesome tag match on the show too with Collision, but 
it's a little worrisome because they don't like I, I just don't know what they're going to be able to do with connecting between the two shows, the storylines. It seems like Collision isn't helping as much as it's hurting um, the ratings. But what's weird, Chad? I actually think like the shows are a little bit better overall because they're not as rushed. They're better than Dynamite. I, I'm, yeah, I'll, I'm the first to agree. And this week's looks better than what I just watched on Dynamite. So on Saturday, you have FTR defending the AEW Tag Titles against Switchblade and Juice in a two out of three. You have Soho uh, against uh, Willow or Athena for the for the women's final of the Owen Hart. And then you have CM Punk and Ricky Starks uh, in the Owens tournament final, which should be a fantastic match. So that alone, this card alone is better than what I've watched on Dynamite on Wednesday night. I agree. I, I agree. Mean, I just do. I'm sorry. That's, that's yeah. how I feel about it. And as we get over to Dynamite um, this week on AEW Dynamite, positives, negatives. We open the show. It's weird because we have a, a Jericho Commander show. They're in Canada, so they're getting a lot of Jericho, Don Callis on. But I don't know what if, or if this was needed really It was fine, it was a solid match They're talking about how Jericho used to wrestle a lot of the luchadors When he was younger But what I thought was weird about it was We're not really sure if Jericho's a heel Or a baby face yet yeah. uh, We did see some cool footage of, hair, of Jericho And Callus when they were young And Callus had longer hair I just, I don't really have a problem with this um, There's a lot of Do Don Callis on the does, show, does right? It, does it add To uh, The storyline uh, this Jericho storyline will will he or won't he? You know I don't know. I don't know. So other stuff from Dynamite. Okay, so we have Jack Perry, who all of a sudden now just runs away. Runs away. Hook. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately he just is a he's a, a runner. We then have the MJF and Adam Cole stuff. This is super polarizing. So first of all. We're at funny the bar, stuff. right? This is the like, one where they're at the bar having drinks. Yep, funny, funny stuff, right? Like entertaining stuff. I some of the segments are better than others. It's super campy. It's Sheamus and Cesaro. It's Jericho and Owens. We've seen this kind of thing all the time. I enjoy it. I think it's funny. I think it's good. I think there's a place for this on every wrestling show. It just is weird timing because these two guys are your World champion and your number one baby face, and they're not talking about the world title at all. We go weeks at a time without it being mentioned. There's in a in a kayfabe way. There's nobody on the show that even cares that that they can't get a title shot or that the title's not being defended. Like nobody else out there is saying, "Hey, how come I don't get a shot at the title?" Like, isn't that a thing? Nobody nobody else even cares. This feels like MJF. Wanting to show off, like, look what I can do. I'm super you know talented. I can sing. I can of? dance. Like, you, you remember how fun we thought it was good and funny with him and Jericho did this? It's the same thing. It's just yeah. the same thing. We're revisiting it, and I, and I just don't think it does anything for Adam Cole at all. No, and and what hurts also is somebody said it feels like MJF is auditioning for WWE. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he's showing <laughs> them like what I what he could do because. Um, Liam Neeson, right? Good actor. Mm-hmm, t- sure. Taken, you know, he's in those movies where he's a badass, but he's also in Love Actually. 
right? He plays the guy whose wife dies and he's crying and he he's the his son is the one who's in love and his son goes and he's in love and starts to play. So Liam Neeson's a great actor, but in Taken, I don't want him playing the guy he plays in Love Actually, right? Like even <laughs> though he can do it, that's not his role right there. MJF's role right now is to be the heel world champion. People are supposed to hate this guy. And right now, every week, he's getting a chance to be a babyface and a heel, which is great for him. It's sort of fun and it's entertaining. But is it what's best for the storyline and for your company when this is your top heel doing this? I think the yeah. way I pointed it out to you was this this should be happening three months or two months after MJF loses the world title. That's when this storyline should have happened. These two guys both were just involved in the world title, so you're not going to put them right back there. You let other guys go, and then you don't really have much for them, so you throw them together, and then all of a sudden they become like the most entertaining thing on the show. This is a story that should lead somebody to a world title because they're so entertaining. Like the next step after this should be MJF or Adam Cole going to the world title, not – It's there and we don't even mention it. That's my biggest problem with this. Not how good it is. Not if it's funny or entertaining because it is. It's just why are we doing this with your world champ? Why not figure out better timing, a better way to do it? If you want to do this, why isn't the belt on someone else? Am I crazy for thinking that? No, Gino. And and let me get the wording out here because I, I get frustrated at things that AEW does. Is this being done this way because this is the only way you can build MJF and Adam Cole? Are you, I mean, we're putting out, we put them in this tag tournament, which it looks like they're probably going to win. Um, we talked about that last week because if one of them loses, it definitely it, it takes the, uh, it takes the wind out of, out of the sails of this, uh, of the storyline. And at the end of the day, when they finally have the match, Adam Cole's not winning this title. So what does this do to Adam Cole? I would be shocked if Adam Cole went over MJF for this world title. I'm just shocked. And just what does this do for Adam Cole? It just, it kind of makes a mockery out of him. I don't care if he's having fun with it. As a wrestling fan, I don't want to see this. I do not want to see this. Imagine Roman Reigns doing this. You know, I, I just can't get into it. I can't buy it. They're going to win this this silly little blind tag team tournament. And it's just going to, you know, they're in a bar and he's trying to get women. To, uh, we all know that that he, he and Britt Baker, you know, unless you get Britt mm-hmm. Baker involved in this. And and just, then the problem is, is they, they like make you feel bad for MJF. Like you shouldn't yes. feel bad for this guy. You should hate him. He's yes. talking about how he doesn't have friends. Play video games and you're like oh man You feel sort of bad for the guy and he is Entertaining and he is funny And then you're gonna you're gonna feel like Adam Cole's an idiot for letting This all happen sure. they get a way to Plug their video game in there too where They get the fight forever video game um, <laughs> I just And then the match they come out and the crowd Is really into it like I, the crowd is Into this I'm not saying it's not going to be Over it's just how Far like how long before we even Have another title match like this is why we had to create an entire another title for WWE because even when the bloodline story was so good it ended up hurting a lot of the other roster that they didn't have another title to shoot for 
or at least like talk about, right? Because in, in kayfabe, aren't you as a wrestler wanting to be the champion? Isn't that what your goal is to be the should main be. champion? It should be. Everyone. Um, we had Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara pick up the win over Cassidy and Darby Allen, which was sort of strange because you it felt like they were, you know, a team that would you know Cassidy never loses and they were a real solid team. But I think I, I told you, in my opinion, the reason why they had them lose there was because they want Adam Cole and MJF to be cheered. Right. In the final. And so sure. I think you put Adam Cole and MJF against Sammy. And Garcia, for sure, Cole and MJF are getting cheered. If you put them against Cassidy and Darby, those that's guys a good point. That's right? a good those guys point. are big baby faces. Like they would get some cheers. I, I think that's honestly more of what it had to do with it. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jake Hager, he hands his hat over. <laughs> he gives he gives him the hat back, which was uh, which was funny. Ruby Soho gets the win over Sky Blue. I will say. Um, I think both of these these ladies are in a pretty good spot right now. Like Ruby's done really good. I haven't been as into their group, but I think of the group, she sort of stood out recently with some of her intensity and her promos. And I think Sky Blue and Willow are two of the ladies that I really would want to try to elevate in the women's division. I think both of them have bright futures. Okay, so Soho, we had Sky Blue winning this. We wanted to. She's out. Now, Soho going to win the whole thing, and it's going to be her and Tony. They kind of turn? I think so. Okay. I think so. That that would make the most sense. Yeah, Soho's a better baby face anyway, in my opinion. Now, I don't know what the hell or why they had that video of Harley Cameron singing, but let me say, <laughs> she's great, and, like, <laughs> that was so well-produced. It was like an actual rap video. They put so much time and money into it for something that's like not really a big story on the show. It was weird to me, but it was, it was, I thought it was great. Like I, I was like, wow, she's actually really good. It just seemed like, Hmm, they're putting a lot into this. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) Now, one of the best things AEW has ever done is how they presented Nick Wayne. Over the last few weeks, they've given us video packages. They've told us about this guy. We, we know all about him, his family, his story, everything. He comes in. He looks like an 18-year-old kid, but he doesn't feel out of place. Like he's doing well in the ring. Swerve and him are comfortable with each other. They've had a few matches against each other. I, I'm not saying Nick Wayne should come in here and immediately be your world champion. I think you want him to win the first match. Then you can have him lose. You can have him paired with Darby and Sting. Even that could be a fun match where you have like three generations of wrestler all on the same team together. There's a lot of things you can do with him. I'm worried though after he loses because I get the feel like I got with Action Andretti or some of these other guys who have a really good match who look impressive. And then we don't see him again. Hell, even Hook a few years ago or like a year, year and a half ago, this guy was really over. I I loved what they did, and I'm just worried moving forward. If AEW does more of this, setting up guys, showing the video packages, letting me know who they are, I'm going to give them a lot of positives with this because they don't do this very much at all. And they did it again on the show, you know what, with uh, with Lance Archer. So shout out there. They, they yeah. showed him winning at some like little footage of him winning in different places. Those are the things we ask for. They did it. I'm going to give them credit. 
All that being said, Swerve is a guy who loses all the time. I don't think he needed the win. You could it could have been a really cool moment, a big deal for Wayne, and then he loses. You and I joked this was Vince McMahon booking. Yeah, yeah, and I think this was the setup: Swerve versus Darby. I, I think this was, you know, you get the end of it that, you know, uh, Swerve kind of, you know, is smirking towards Darby and and what kind of stared down Mean Mug, uh, Wayne's mom. She was there, I, and I think this leads to Swerve and Darby, which is okay, whatever, you know, like you said, Swerve's losing in tag matches with Keith Lee all the time. Now, main event segment. Explain this to me. <laughs> Okay, so positives, negatives. Don Callis Ooh. comes out. He's getting a lot of heat. He mentions that they're going to have a fifth member. They do a terrible job of showing us uh, Pac, who comes out. Like, they don't do a good job of the reveal. But following that, they announce Kota Ibushi is going to be the next member for the Babyface team. Awesome. People love Kota. All of this is happening, and then it's next week. We don't really get very much build up for it. There's not even like another week to really set it up. That's what what concerned me. But but what I really love, and I've been saying it for a long time, why don't we get more shows where you have Kenny Omega with the microphone at the end like that, sounding yes. like a really good baby face cutting a promo that's super passionate, talking about how it doesn't matter about this or that. It's about heart. It's about passion. It's about love. Like, that I liked that. That part was great. I've been clamoring for that. If we can get back to babyface Kenny being the guy, it'll be good. This feud with these two factions have felt like it's just dragged on for so long. The match next week will be fantastic. I thought overall this whole segment was like the way they announced both Pac and Abushi were like a C. The way Kenny ended it was way, way better. It's just not as clean and as smooth. That's kind of a lot of our gripes, Coop. A lot of the same sort of gripes we have. Sure. No, the one line there to end it, goodbye and good night. I, I mean, that's you and I talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it uh, here or through text or whatever, but I think you and I both agree Kenny Omega needs to be your next AEW world champion. Yeah. Plain and plain and simple. As we finish up with AEW, Chad, last week we started our NFL previews, our team-by-team previews, our division yeah. previews. We previewed the AFC East with Eric. And this week, we're going to preview the AFC North. You told me you have a, a thought, and you can give us a, you know, a little bit of a, a play or some information how you're looking at these divisions. So the floor is yours, my friend. Start us off with the AFC East We've got the Bills. We've got the Jets with Aaron Rodgers coming over there. We've got the Dolphins and the Patriots. Who do you like in this division? Give us some thoughts on it. Fun division here, especially with all the additions of the New York Jets. Maybe they'll be uh, relative again, and we'll get to see all the drama with, uh, I believe, Hard Knocks. They're the Hard Knocks team. But uh, I looked at a future here. Um, I I looked at the New England Patriots. Um, I just don't think they're a very good football team. They're they're in a very tough division where we saw Miami starting to turn it on. Uh, we know the Bills are the Bills, the Jets, um, Aaron Rodgers. They went out and spent a ton of money. They're going to be a lot better. So I looked at the future. The team total here is over under seven and a half wins 
for the New England Patriots. And I looked at their schedule. They opened the season uh, home against Philadelphia, loss. Uh, they play against Miami, loss. At the Jets, a loss. At Dallas, a loss. Then New Orleans comes into town. Um, maybe. I don't know. There's I, I can't find eight wins on this schedule. Yeah, they play Washington. But then you get non-conference games at the Giants, Chargers, home against Kansas City, at Denver late. I don't see eight wins on this schedule, Gino. Even though the under seven and a half is my, minus 130, this is a full unit play for me. I'm going to take under the New York, or the, excuse me, the New England Patriots, under seven and a half wins. I just don't think this team's very good, and I think the Belichick, uh, I just think his days are numbered there now. Robert Kraft's going to have to do something after this season. Koopa Loop, where do you head for the AFC North? And this is a fun division. Uh, I, I'm staying away from from over and unders. It, it's just super fun. I'm staying away from which team's going to win it. Um, I looked at the Bengals here. The Bengals are loaded offensively. I think they got even better in the offseason. Um, they got two or three linemen to kind of help Burrow. Cincinnati is in shootouts all the time because their defense is not very good, right? So I looked at, let me see who I can find as a player that can win a good award. So I looked at Jamar Chase. He is plus 1,200 to be the NFL Offensive Player of the Year. The last two seasons, a wide receiver has won this award, including last year, Justin Jefferson, who is the favorite at plus 1,000 in the year before that Cooper Cup. If Burrow is healthy, Cincinnati's winging this ball around like they, they do week in and week out and have tons of shootout. Jamar Chase is just, that guy is an absolute stud. I'm betting a full unit plus 1,200. Jamar Chase is going to be the NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Coop a loop with some plays for us in each division and then each and every week as Eric and I preview Chad will also give you a play so we can have a little additional help my man Coop thank you so much buddy at the Chad Cooper will be following you on Twitter and on Instagram you have a fantastic weekend go party it up as always with all those big celebs (laughs) you got it Gino see you next week Thanks so much, Chad. Uh, Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Stay tuned. Big thank you to Koopaloop for helping us out. We now move to Secret Invasion, Episode 4. This one just came out a few days ago, so we are all caught up now and we are on track. Tim Kelly joins us. We really like this one. It was a short episode, only about 30, 30 minutes or so, and uh, but it was a powerful episode. It packed some punches. Tim Kelly joins me for the deep dive, scene by scene. We are back. It feels like we were here just a few days ago, because we were. We are back to talk about episode four of Secret Invasion. And since we just have one episode to discuss, we can really do the deep dive this time, scene by scene. Tim Kelly joins me. And TK, it's such a funny contrast, because we caught up just a few days ago talking about episodes one through three. So we had like a marathon, and then episode four. Is actually the shortest episode of the season so far. <laughs> it was only like 30 minutes really in runtime after yeah. you take out the credits and take out like the previously on. So I it was funny. I felt like we just went through all of this and now we we have a, a shorter one. But I don't know if it mm-hmm. was because 
how recently we just talked about everything. And I feel like when we talk about these shows, you and I, I either like them or dislike them a little bit more, but I, I understand Mm -hmm. them. I like, I get to them once we go back and forth, you sort of point some things out to me, things start percolating Mm -hmm. in my head. And (laughs) I really enjoyed this episode. I think the most, all of them, um, it, it hit me in a few spots more than I think some of the other ones did. I'm not sure if that's because we were just yeah. talking about it or this episode is better or it would had built up gradually, but mm-hmm. I really did enjoy episode four beloved. And there were just mm-hmm. a, a couple of really cool scenes that I think I was finally waiting for where I felt, I felt the weight of them. Um, yes. so I don't know if it was. It just took them a little while to get here or if it was something on my end, but I felt it a little bit more in this episode. Not that I had disliked any of the prior three, but I I was more Mm -hmm. emotionally invested. And there were moments where I was I I felt saddened like I had in other MCU content property shows, movies. Yeah, this episode hits. I mean, we said it in the last podcast. Uh. We're, we're finally getting going somewhere right now. I, we feel like we're, it's finally started and we're finally invested in the story and looking forward to episode four. That's how we that's how we left episode three. And uh, it, this was short and sweet. It was really good. I was uh, I, I felt like there was real stakes. It was a satisfying experience. And I actually looked forward to rewatching it right after it ended. It was the first time I'd felt that, uh, you know, the previous episodes. I, I felt like I had to rewatch them, not for the podcast, but just for. Like I, I was almost tuning out some of the things because I was a little bit disinterested. But now yeah. I'm into the world. It sucked me, me into this the, the world. I, I I feel for this the stakes that they've raised here. And um, man, I really felt the death at the end of this one. It feels like we get a new death at the end of almost every episode. And this, this one, one really felt hit me too. The most yes, this one hit me by far the most of the characters. And mm-hmm. and then throughout this episode, I just loved the the poem. Between yeah. Fury and his wife, Priscilla, Vara, we find out a little bit more now about Vara. And I think just for me individually, like in a selfish way, some of the questions that I personally w- was asking got answered in this episode. Like we were yes. talking about, right, things that were bothering me. I was like, well, does this happen? <laughs> yeah. How does this sit? Does this? It was almost like they heard what I said and like, hey, we'll make we'll make you feel better about that. And, and one or two different things. So I I enjoyed that. And I loved how they set us up pretty early on in the episode. We see Fury and Vara in Paris in 2012 sitting down. And it, rem- it I thought they did a really good job here of like portraying a fresh relationship mm-hmm. where there's this sort of like excitement. There's this love when you when you're just sort of meeting someone and you're talking like they did about their interest. And she's telling him. You know about poetry. He says, "Oh, I'm more of a history guy." And they go back and forth for a second, and he asks her, mm-hmm. "Just like I, I feel like I've been in this situation before." You know, you're you're talking to this new girl. You're trying to pick her brain a little bit. You're trying to see what her interests are. She mentions mm-hmm. poetry. You ask questions. It felt it felt real. And there were some scenes that we had said in the first few that maybe were a little hollow. That were supposed mm-hmm. to be these bigger moments. I just I enjoyed that, and I loved the callback scene that we'll get to a little later in the episode when the two of them are sitting at the kitchen table and they both have their yeah. guns. They both have their guns, like ready to do what yeah. they need to do. But then we find out not really ready to do what they need to do. You know, yeah. just just sort of like 
uh, for show. Yeah, exactly. And I, I love the poetry of this this episode and this the poem that was in it. Uh, there was there was a nice like little call, obvious callback in the, in the later scene to to that poem, which I thought had there was a lot of just inherent beauty to the way it was written. The way that that scene that you're describing um, early on that the flashback uh, for, to 2012, it was be- kind of beautifully shot too. The, like there was a warmth, the lighting, it, a, you know, soft oh, was, uh, kind of focus yes. to it, and the yep. the actors looked looked beautiful on screen. Like because we get there was the just a, a chemistry, even. yeah, and it, that added to it. Actually, it softened their features a little bit, mm-hmm. and it just made everything have this kind of warm, fuzzy That's tone, warm, was, which which like, suited you, the yeah, it suited the flashback to it. Yeah, yeah like and you're watching it, it's just got this like calm, soothing feeling. You know, you feel like at home. It was, I, I really, it, and I think it's because it's yeah. quick. Like you said too, I really just enjoyed this episode. Um, on the watch back too, it it didn't yeah. need to be more than what it was, which happens in TV and movies all the time, mm-hmm. right? We go through afterwards, we're like, oh, they, that scene wasn't needed, or that was just for this, or that yeah. was just for this. This there Taylor. was a, it covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. We got to, we we weren't sure the first few episodes, and now when we look mm-hmm. back, we can pull things out. But man, they just finally said, okay, everybody knows Rhodey's a scroll, so we're gonna let him yeah. off the rails here. Like he's just yeah. saying stuff that's just not like Rhodey at all, acting not at all Rhodey. I've seen yeah. a few places call him Scrody, which yep. I think yep. is hilarious. <laughs> the scroll Rhodey. Um, so you know, Rhodey here. He's calling, he's, you know, asking for murders. He's sort of just going off in the back of a church. He's drinking Poppy Van Winkle and drunk when he's <laughs> interacting with the president of the United States here. I mean, he's he's really feeling it right now. He Scroll yeah. Roadie is having a moment. Yeah, and I, I love the performance there from Don Cheadle. Like he's really he he's doing some subtle things. Maybe maybe not so subtle. I, I don't know. It's perfect though the way he's doing it. Uh, he's having a lot of fun. You can tell in the role. Uh, but he's letting a little bit of the femininity femininity show through because we we find out this this scroll is actually a female scroll. You can kind of see it in his performance. I think he lets that color. Uh, the, his line deliveries and just the way he carries himself, the way he moves around the scene. It's just different. Uh, you know what? And I it think reminds that, that was amped him. up this episode. It, yeah, what, it, what's that? And I mention it a lot. I mention like wrestling a lot of times, but they say that the best, one of the most fun things is to play a bad guy wrestler. It almost feels right. like this is like his moment of like just getting to be, play this different character for an episode or two and just let loose. And that's got to be really fun for an actor who, May have played more buttoned up roles recently, or this character has been a little different. He doesn't get mm-hmm. moments like this where they're like, "Hey, Rhodey, Sheetal, go out there and just be freaking yeah. nuts right now," you know. And that, I, like, you can feel the fun that actors are having sometimes through that. Like, I mm-hmm. watch you watch sometimes they'll have like a wrestler come up, and then they're like, "Oh, this guy or this girl is supposed to be awesome. They're great in the ring. They're the their dad was this great wrestler. Like, they've got it all." But they don't connect with the fans like they can't, they don't have a character. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why we care about them. And then all of a sudden they'll come out one day and they'll say, screw you. I hate all you fans. You guys didn't cheer for me. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you hate them and you have a reason to yeah. like to hate them. And now all of a sudden they become like the most interesting thing in the world. It's not that Rhodey wasn't, but Rhodey was sort of he's sort of like a kind of a vanilla character for the most part. More recently, he hasn't yeah. been like 
since Iron Man 1, he's even changed. The character's changed. The person's changed. But overall, he's been a little dialed down more so mm-hmm. in the background. This was a cool, a cool time for him to cook a little bit. Yeah, he's a supporting character, right? So he's always kind of been – he's never really had much of an arc unto himself. And this uh, this little – I don't I – wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an arc because it's not the real roadie character, right? But it's Don Cheadle's chance to, like, do something yes. different in the role. Uh, yes. Which is, which is, you know, I, I'd imagine very fun for an actor. And I, we know that we are going to get uh, like a true arc for that character in some upcoming projects. We've got Armor Wars right around the corner. So I think that's when they're really going to save the, the the real story for Rhodey. We're going to find out probably what the heck's gone on here. How long has he been a scroll? That's a big question. My theory, not that long. I feel Me like too. it's more of a recent thing. There are people, though, who are speculating it was I know, during Civil War and as far back, you know, as maybe the introduction. So. I, I, I highly doubt that. I feel yeah. like it, it kind of cheapens those moments. I don't think that that it was the intention all me, along. Me too. I don't think they want to retcon stuff like that. Exactly. And yeah. for, for us or for them, because then it puts them in this weird, tricky spot. When, like we said, when you're when you start having to do too much, too many logistics, mm-hmm. it, it makes the most sense if this happened like early in this series, right? Like that. That would be yeah. like the most probable because. That we didn't really even know about the scrolls, and we weren't even really led to believe that there was this massive infiltration of them in a negative sense until recently. Mm-hmm. Right. Like most of them were pretty when Talos has been in charge and leading them, they weren't aggressive. We weren't getting attacked. Mm-hmm. They weren't there wasn't like a group of anarchists. It's only been recently that they've split since Gravik mm-hmm. has took over that we've seen this different side. From them and uh, Yeah I mean short episode so Kind mm-hmm. of like little quick hits At the beginning we're gonna go through it Right now and at the very end We have that moment with Talos That we will get to but you I felt I felt that one more than Maria more than the, yeah. the fake Gaia which we found out wasn't And and we're gonna start with that but They're kind of tied together mm-hmm. I'm glad They didn't do any like making A sit with the Gaia thing For like right. any any length of an episode it literally was the end of yeah. last week we thought she might be dead first thing we see to start this week oh no she's not dead so yeah. i i like that they don't sort of tease you or like waste you know we knew that she wasn't don't make us feel like mm-hmm. oh right my God. <laughs> like so i i appreciated that and then on the flip side i thought that the death it meant something too because we saw what Talos was willing to do. He was willing to sacrifice himself, punch through one of those bulletproof mm-hmm. windows. Those, you know, yeah. you know how thick the glasses and those things in yeah. the president's car. Oh my god! It's the president's car. Yeah, that's the thickest glass you got right there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a great moment. And um, you know, we kind of talked about the previous deaths. You know, uh, that had been in the show as being a little bit weightless. And I think that's because they didn't those characters didn't get it a chance to really have the moment earned. Whereas in this case, we've had, you know, the last uh, four episodes to to live with this character, Talos. And then we really get to understand his motivations. We get to understand what's important to him, the, the sacrifice he's making. And, and then what he does in that moment, it's it, it's it ties directly to, you know, the conversation he has with Gaia and, and his overall goals. I mean, he, he does ultimately what he, what he wanted to do, which is show human beings that, you know, 
I'm one of you. I, I'm on your side. Uh, we just need to keep showing them. He, he says at one point. It is, and so he, we, he sacrifices himself doing that. So it's it's very meaningful to the story. It is because it's like his plan is so stupid but admirable. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. It's like it's, it's I got yeah. I got this long game plan, right? I'm gonna we're first we're gonna stop the research. Like first we're gonna have to get into a war. Then after that. <laughs> We're going to go and let the president know that you, we <laughs> saved you. You might have been in trouble. Now you owe us. You know, it's a yeah. source so convoluted. But he, he, he wants to do that because he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to harm anyone. He, and he keeps, he, like, we have to be gracious to our hosts and we have to do this. Yeah. And um, Guy is kind of conflicted because she's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because her dad's plans are one extreme – they're so passive and they're really not – they haven't been all that impactful. Then on the flip yeah. side, the only other option – it's like what we deal with here in the political. We have two options and they're both crappy, right, most of the time. Right. like yeah. She's either got someone who's doing really nothing or someone who's killing. <laughs> you, you that know sounds I mean? so like, familiar. Right? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, okay. So uh, I guess I'll take the person who's not killing people because that's better. Yeah. but. It's not much of a choice that she has, and that's sort of what we're finding out here with the scrolls. They're in a really tough spot. Refugees, conquerors, there are people without a home, a million people without a home, but all they want to be is beloved. As uh, That's, that's the uh, title of this episode. As we get into episode four of Secret Invasion, we open things up with a previously on, and then the Marvel, Marvel Studios title screen. We see in our first scene, Gaia, and we see the process of Gaia becoming a super scroll. And we flash back to her dead body. She's not dead. And we get quickly into the secret invasion title screen and intro. But, Tim, this was a a pretty easy prediction. We had Mm -hmm. seen Gravik mention super scrolls. We saw Gaia investigating things on her own she was trying to get information she was a mole so she was in places where a lot of other people aren't she came across all sorts of information and she figured out how to make herself a secret scroll a super super scroll and she Mm -hmm. was actually able to take memories from some of the humans find out tidbits and pieces of information so she has info she also has powers and abilities, and she was able to heal and come back to life. Yeah, and we, we all called it. We, we, we saw it. It was pretty obvious, uh, I think, you know, from the last episode. Uh, but I'm intrigued by this story. I, I, I love where this is going. We're going to have two Super Scrolls go, going head to head here. Uh, I think only one can, can remain. Uh, and uh, I like the way that they did this it, it, with the, like a flashback montage really quick. Um, it showed only the extraments, but I think I saw on Nerdist, um, uh, Dan Casey pointed out that, uh, like smaller on the screen, you could still see the other powers there. So it's probably likely that she got like the full suite of powers. I wasn't sure though, on my watch, whether that was the case, whether she just got the extremist powers or all or the others, powers. we, we yeah. could tell that Grevik does. Yeah. Because we yeah, see he's got Grevik use the Groot. At the end, and we see him with the regeneration and the healing. We just don't know necessarily yet if if Gaia has those same full abilities. Mm-hmm. But for now, we know she's able to 
heel and Gaia, she's alive. We then get that secret invasion intro and we flash back to Paris 2012. This is the scene where Vara, which was her name as a scroll, as a human, she's Priscilla. She took the body and the identity of Priscilla. So that's why we hear her referenced as Vara or Priscilla in different in different ways. She's sitting in a nice restaurant. And Nick Fury enters, sits down at a table with her. Did, and I, you probably saw it pointed out on one of the uh, breakdowns or uh, recaps you, you had watched or read through. He actually mm-hmm. stops when he walks in the restaurant at a different table because he notices there's another woman sitting down that kind of looks like Var, that kind of looks like Priscilla. Yeah. Uh, but he like looks at her, kind of looks down, smiles, and then goes in a different direction. Why that's important is because later in the episode, we find out that Vara picked this identity on purpose because he she thought Fury would be attracted to this woman. Yeah. And she wanted to like have him let his guard down. And so it's a cool way of seeing like she picked right. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he's noticing her and it's like he's it's like he's got a type here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this scene though. I, I loved it. I, I thought it was like beautiful, and I felt and this this is a perfect microcosm in this scene, and then mm-hmm. in what happens with Talos at the end, in what I felt like I was missing in watching the first three episodes of this. Like, yeah, there, there weren't bad. It, like a lot of it wasn't bad at all. There were maybe one or two scenes that we mentioned that we thought weren't acted all that great in the first few episodes, but more than mm-hmm. anything, it was that. As stuff was happening, we were like looking away from the screen sometime on our phone. You know, <laughs> yeah. it it wasn't even bad. It wasn't like, oh, there's weird CGI or like that looks terrible. It was just like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's like a C, C plus. Yeah. You know, B minus. We were creeping into at some points, but this was was great. He uh, Fury sits down, and Vara lets him know that she was watching the news and. She just saw the Battle of New York, the Avengers. This is right after what happens in yeah. 2020, uh, 2012. Said she has a feeling that someone I know has something to do with getting them all together. Furious. So what if it was someone you know? Taking a little credit for that. Vara said it wouldn't surprise me because if he's the man I think he is, he has a powerful sense of righteousness. He understands that the universe is a dangerous place and that home is worth fighting for and the weak are worth protecting. So she schmoozes him. A little bit, mm-hmm. and Fury notices she's reading a book. He asks her about it. It's a collection of poems from Raven uh, by Raymond Carver. He doesn't know a whole lot about poetry. Says he's more of a, a history guy himself. So she explains. Carver's known for his brevity. Some of his poems are just mm-hmm. three or four lines, but they pack a punch. And I like. I thought like it just felt real with the little things. Like he asks her, "Do you have a favorite?" I don't know. Is this something you would do? Right, she's telling you about it. What's your favorite? Tell me a line. Read one to me. That's what you would say. She mentions late fragment, and then she recites it. She says it's actually a conversation between two people. Here, you read the first line. She hands him the book. He takes a look. I just thought the way they read it too. Yeah, feels like you you, you feel it. He stops and he says, uh, "And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, Faro responds." By heart, she knows the poem. I did. Fury asks back. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. And they touch hands as she finished saying that. 
and it was a it's a great scene. It really it really was like it like it, mm-hmm. it. I think it's a super impactful way to open this episode. And then all of a sudden, this did more for me with their relationship than the first three episodes had. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was so beautifully acted. Uh, both their scenes in in this episode, uh, all their scenes in this episode are just so so beautifully acted. Uh, the anguish later on on um, you know Sam Jackson's face, Nick Fury's face, uh, and the love that you see between the two of them, and the and the pain that is shown, it, it, it's it's it far exceeds what you would expect from you know a, a comic book TV show or a Marvel show. Um, they're they're really doing some heavy lift in there, and it was well written. Like they didn't have to like you know elevate the material. This was actually the good material they were given here. Uh, but this is a beautiful setup for that that scene later on. Um, but on its on its own, it just has this um, this great chemistry that that sells how they could fall for each other. And I think that the their romance, uh, as it's portrayed in this episode, uh, is has some unique qualities. There's a little bit of Mr. and Mrs. Smith uh, aspects to it, where these you know two spies are kind of living in their own worlds, but you know intermingling and sharing uh, a life together, but keeping secrets from each other and, you know, blurring lines uh, that may may never be unblurred. Uh, I love the way that, that it ultimately resolves. We'll get to that later. But um, yeah, I, I just think this was a great setup and uh, just Marvel firing, firing on all cylinders and actually delivering what we kind of talked about where it was falling short of that that uh, prestige quality. Mm-hmm. This was it. Uh, that, from this an, was it. Yeah. Like even this, like you pointed out in this scene, from um like an acting to a mm-hmm. writing to a visual, like you see with the look of it, yeah. the ambiance, it all hit. And it was just it like did. a two minute, like a like two minutes, probably not even that long. That whole scene, but it it hit and it's imp- it was really impactful. And again, it's like. It's such a small thing, but it's one of those scenes like I will remember when I think about Fury and his character now and I start to think about his backstory and who he was. If we were going to sit down and do a podcast on Fury, mm-hmm. that this would be yeah. like a big thing that we talked about in, in it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just that one scene and like who he is and that relationship and and how that like important that was in his life and good good work there. That uh that scene mm-hmm. really made me feel as we flash to current day and we see Vara at the church meeting with Skull Rhodey. We had heard about their meetup at the end of the last episode. And Vara lets Rhodes know that Fury has been fired. And Rhodes laughs. He says, oh, yeah, I fired him. No, correction. I DDT'd that dude from the top rope. It was Undertaker level. It was really impressive. Hey, there's my wrestling reference. I, I give him all the time. I, I think uh, our guy Eric on New Rockstars even pointed out, though, that what was great about this, he, mm-hmm. butch- he butchered this. Like, that's not even yeah. something that The Undertaker does. Right. He doesn't yeah. do a DDT from the top rope. It'd be like <laughs> when a person's, like, faking something and trying to act cool. You know, and they say a bunch of things and confuse them. Total poser, total poser here. Yeah. Um, So that was that was something that really made me chuckle. But now, like, we start to see this different version of Rhodey now. Now we're like, oh, yeah, this is not the real Rhodey. Because he says President Ritson doesn't find out that the sun's come up unless I brief him. Um, And Vara asks, I don't understand. What what do you mean? And 
Gravik and Rhodes says, look, what Gravik needs, what Gravik doesn't need, that's none of your concern. I'm the one telling you to kill Fury. I'll make it easy for you. One of the two occupants of that lovely country manor of yours is catching a bullet today. And at that moment, we see that Fury is listening. Remember, he's got her bugged. So he knows what's going on. He's heard this whole conversation. Now, there's a moment here where it almost looks like Rhodes is sort of, Rhodes knows that. It's almost like Rhodes <laughs> looks at Vara and they almost communicate that he might know that someone's listening to them. But yeah. but she keeps going and says, look, he's broken. Ever since he came back from the blip, the old Fury, the one with power, the one with ability, the one who was indispensable to us, that Fury is gone. Now this new one, he'll be dead from exhaustion and defeat soon enough. We don't need to kill him. That so, that hurt that hurt Fury too. You're seeing his reaction to the stuff mm-hmm. that is being said, and obviously they're talking about killing him, which is a sensitive subject. You're not going to take that but, well. But but, but when hearing, she says that he's he's yeah, not him, what, that's even that worse than him killing anymore. him. That's You're right. that's what really hurt, hits him. You, you, that, I love that they cut to his reaction there because it's just and it's a great one too. He's just looking. He's just sort of sitting and he's got his head down and he's just doing like he's got a head shaking. Going on like exactly how you would look if you're like, I I think I've told you this before. This reminds me of when Milo first started at his first school he was going to. They had a camera there that I could watch all the time. And so I'm watching him a lot of times throughout the day like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, no, no. You know, like, and then the opposite. Like, <laughs> Nothing yes, you can yes, do yes, from yes. where you, you are. Know what I mean? You know what I mean? So like I'd be sitting there watching and like he walks up to a kid and they're playing with something and he just grabs the toy out of their hand and like walks away. And that would be my response that Fury had right there. Right. Like he looks down at his head and he's just shaking his hands like, no, please, because he's it's almost like he's it's like a test. Right. Mm -hmm. But when he's what he's listening to, it's like a test for Vara. She has a a chance here to say, well, no, I'm not going to kill him. Really, or that, but she doesn't really do that, right? She tries mm-hmm. to get out of it. She tries to say, Look, he's not the same guy. He's going to die on his own. We don't have to do that. And Rhodes says, You keep telling me what you're not going to do. I'm going to show you what I am going to do. Now enjoy this concert. And he walks away and leaves her there in church. So, yeah, yeah this is, this is a bummer for Fury, the woman he's been mm-hmm. with now for 15 years. Or so we're we're led to believe at least around there. I think from around like 2012 to this time, which is 2027 or so in the MCU. I think, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just I, I when I'm whenever I'm watching any of these things, even things that are really like out there, I always do try to put mm-hmm. myself in the position of the character and think how I would feel there mm-hmm. if that was my significant other and I was listening yeah. to that on the other line. And man, that would be hard. That would be hurt. Really, you would feel betrayed. You like every emotion, especially for someone like Fury, who doesn't trust a whole lot of people. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's even more interesting, too, because from her perspective, you know, it's not this black or white thing where she's like betraying him. She's saying that in that moment as a way to kind of protect him to get out. She's trying to. What's on what's on the table is we have to kill him. So she's maybe just saying that, you know, just saying that to to. To make uh, Fury seem like not she's a threat trying. and then, you know, get out of that. So it's not like she's totally besmirching his name in this moment or anything, but it still has to sting, you know, to, to hear that. You know, he could he could think 
too. Uh, that's what she's doing. You know, she's just trying to get out of it. But it's still he still has to feel like uh, maybe she believes part of that. And so there's this mix of emotions going on. And she's perfectly like, um, you know, it, it's logical what she's doing in that moment. She's, it, in a bad, it, she's, she's just justified. stuck in a bad spot. Absolutely. Yeah, she yeah. is stuck in a bad spot. She doesn't have a good choice here. She's being forced into this by someone who's threatening threatening her. Mm-hmm. Right? She's being threatened with her own life now, and she's also at a, in a situation where she's being forced to pick between her own people mm-hmm. and someone who made them a promise and hasn't really kept the promise they made them. She's got to be so having thick, thick like mixed conflicting emotions too and very rightfully because as much as we want to be on the Nick Fury side because he's the character that we've known and grown up with in this mm-hmm. in this one particular thing he made them a promise and he didn't keep it so right? true that, and that's where all the beef comes from <laughs> they've done what they said they were going to do like they've continued to help him along the way he hasn't been able to hold up his end of the bargain so now you know it it's amazing because in this episode it's it shows you how loyal Talos is to Fury because Fury's yes. own wife, mm-hmm. his own wife, is less loyal to him than Talos. Like, so true. And yeah, like that, and, I, you know, I hadn't even really thought about it until we were like talking out like that. But when you mm-hmm. look at the two of them, it really shows you like how loyal Talos was to Fury as yes. uh, it, it's yeah. the central theme and conflict of, of the story, right? Yeah. Um, you've got Gravik, who's, you know, that that loyalty has been completely upended and they feels betrayed. And then now now they're, you know, raging back against Fury. And you can see that, you know, with the scroll who's, uh, you know, replaced Rhodey, that that contempt that he has for Fury, that that like, you know, twisting of the knife, that feeling of like, just F you, you know, like uh, you were you're kind of wondering where that's coming from in the in the previous scene. Uh, in, in the previous episode where he fires Fury, like, why is Rhodey so mad at this guy? Well, yeah, the Skrulls have a reason to be mad at him. They feel like they were, you know, betrayed. Uh, and this just makes Talos' death at the end of the episode that much more poignant right there because you've got Fury who, you know, his people are, you know, the USA, you know, Earth. Uh, he ends up being loyal to them. He leaves Talos on the on the ground at the end yep. when Talos basically he he betrays his own people to be loyal to uh, to Fury, whereas Fury leaves Talos behind to be loyal to, you know, his people, the president, you know, and the, humans, yep. the president. Yep. Yep. So there's this, you know, Talos is so loyal. He's even more loyal to Fury than Fury is back to him. And that's it. He's such a tragic character in that way. And you just feel for him so much. And and that's why the episode matters, because, yeah, in this episode alone, those two things like the loyalty that Talos shows to Fury throughout and then the fact that Talos is willing to sacrifice himself. And I and honestly, I think Talos knows what he's doing when he does that. Like mm-hmm. you were kind of hitting at it, too, like. Talos, I think, understands that his sacrifice, like he he's not tr- trying to kill himself, but he's willing to do whatever it takes to save the president, to show people that the scrolls are good. Yeah, it's for like, his daughter. It's for Gaia. For their future so that as a parent. Her, her, his people, yeah, exactly. He's sacrificing his life. That's a so, leader. Yeah, 
to that's be, a exactly. leader, and it's the complete opposite of how Gravik is is motivated. He's willing to sacrifice everybody else's lives, mm-hmm. and Talos is willing to sacrifice his own. Right? Two different, two totally yep. different leaders, and that's as we said. Talos's plan may not have been the best as far as how to execute it, but right. when it talk when you talk about heart and motivation, like that's what you want from a leader. Yeah. His and, ideals uh, were sound. His ideals were sound. His methods yep. were were not completely, you know, foolproof, but his ideals were sound. So we check back in with the group of the scrolls led by Grevik. They're getting ready to attack the U.S. president. They're going to blame it on Russia. They are trying to start World War III. They just attacked Russia. They blamed it on the United States. Now they're going to do. Uh, they're going to attack. The president, they're going to blame it on Russia. They are trying to spark chaos, anarchy. Just a quick little check-in with them as we see them preparing. But we get back to Talos and Gaia. And mm-hmm. Gaia has, honestly, like, this is her biggest scene that, she, yeah. <laughs> that she's had so far. We haven't had, like, Amelia Clark really cooking at all. Um, yeah. She tells us really why she's conflicted. You know, I don't need your sorrow or your pity. I did things on my own free will. She's talking to her dad here. The mm-hmm. reason I'm with you now is because with you, dad, I'm it's the only answer to the question of where I belong. The only thing I need from you is a plan. What are you doing to finding our people a home? Because Gravik has already implemented his plan and it works. So here comes Talos. Okay. First, we take down the insurgency, you me fury. Once that done, we get to the president. Then we have a big bargaining chip. We tell him, guess what? We just saved your planet. Mm-hmm. Now give me a little something in return. We wait, and then I think we can secure an amnesty for all million of us to remain. And so <laughs> even though that plan is awful, even if it were to work, they still wouldn't even be able to be themselves. Like they would, they probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to be their actual scroll like selves and live in their own skin because I think we've talked about how I don't know what that would be like seeing like an alien looking like creature. It may not go over well as far as humanity trying to coexist with them. So the plan isn't great. Gaia Gaia asks angrily, like, don't you want to live in your own skin? This part actually at least sounded more reasonable. Talo said, look, we have to deal with reality. We're a people without a planet. We depend on the goodwill of our hosts. We have to keep showing them who we are, contributing, showing them our hearts. They will see us. That I understood. This is, a, this is yeah, it, this is an immigration story. This is an allegory for, you know, the immigrant, the, you know, an immigrant story. The uh, USA, this is the right? Second generation. We're all immigrants in the USA. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, a, yeah. It's about assimilation and it's about, you know, you know, maintaining your, your, your culture, you know, living in your own skin is kind of a metaphor uh, for you know, maintaining your culture when you assimilate into a you know a, a new country or a new culture, um, and uh, I, I think it's it's kind of beautiful in in that regard because it, it it's it's recognizable. I think that that's probably a conversation that happens to a lot of people. I can imagine someone you know immigrating to the South from you know the Middle East and having a very similar kind of conversation. Experience. You know, a, yeah. a father daughter having that conversation. About about you know getting along in school with kids maybe not accepting them and and the father just saying you just have to show them who you are and they'll they'll accept you and having that kind of um, faith in humanity uh, and that optimism and I, I think that's a that's a virtuous kind of beautiful idealistic thing it's not always pragmatic and and realistic 
But you know, I'm I'm on Talos' side for this. I actually Me don't too. think his plan overall is that ridiculous. That, it's just no. a little bit non-specific. It sounds, it's a little it's, bit vague. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it sounds it. very like altruistic, right? It it just sounds right. very like the, like the best good guy plan possible, right? Yeah, I just. N- n- like nobody gets hurt, nothing goes wrong, right. and it, it can't always be that way. But it's not. You're right. If it was tweaked a little bit, if if he were to let, like, if the U.S. were to know before, really, and, mm-hmm. and not like they're holding them hostage, but say, look, there's a threat right now. We can help you with this because we know this threat. Like, let's let's team up here together. Maybe that is a better way of doing it than mm-hmm. than how he thought. But I agree with you. He has the right idea, and this is something that I mean. This is something I teach my three-year-old son right now. Like overall, just be a good house guest, right? Wherever right, you right. go, like where, wherever you go, respect your like your belongings, respect where you are. Man, I, I was telling you, I started working. You know, I do a lot of freelance work, so I work with new places. Anytime you start working with a new place, like the first month or so, the first few weeks, you really want to show off, right? You're as good as you can. Right. You're on your best behavior. I mean, that's what you're trying to do here. You really want to just. Put out, put your best foot forward, but but Gaia says that's not who we are. You're delusional, and that's not <laughs> who I've become. So she gets up and she leaves. We then get to the Fury household, and as Vara arrives, she looks in the bowl where the wedding rings are, and Fury's wedding ring is in there, but she can tell he's home. Yep. So right away, something's up. She she's sort of a little bit off. Yeah, he's making tea. She didn't think he'd be home till a little bit later. And she asked, what's the matter? Did your finger swell up? You're not wearing your wedding ring. And what I liked mm-hmm. about this is he, Samuel L. Jackson, plays a guy who's obviously BSing his wife so well yeah. in this moment. <laughs> he goes, oh, it came, I came in the back. It slipped my mind. It, it's yeah. like someone that's lying and like not really even trying to lie i thought i just like mm-hmm. i love the way he oh my bad you know because at this moment yeah. he's he's in a weird spot because um it, there's an episode of friends where um before chandler and monica come clean with with them uh the fact that they're dating and yeah. phoebe and joey have to keep talking about like do they know? We know. They know. And I kept, <laughs> right. I kept thinking about that episode when I was yeah. watching this scene because it's like Vara, the she know, he knows, she knows about the, right. like it, it, this is really what it is. Um, it, it's that Fury is really just bullshitting this whole time because mm-hmm. he knows where Vara just came from. He knows that she's here to kill him, and so he really doesn't doesn't care. He's he, it's just sort of one last little little facade before yeah. he's able to have his moment at the table and and kind of let her let her know that he uh, he heard what's going on. But he even BSs her. Does she asks, uh, "Oh, are you coming or going?" She says, "Oh yeah, I was one of those fury. We need you at work. Things know what I mean." <laughs> and he says that because he he just heard her talk about fury being fired. So she obviously knows he's not working anywhere, but she goes along with it. And then I think once she goes along with it, then it's for him for sure. Like, okay, she's really, she's really going to play this game, huh? She knows <laughs> I'm fired, but she's going to play along. So they both sit yep. down at the table with some tea and he sit quiet for a few seconds till he says, 
of all the dumbass, wrong-headed, reckless things I've done in my life, you are by far and away the greatest mistake. I lost all reason to be your husband, ignored every signal in my head, heart, and body that screamed, stop. And even now as I sit mm-hmm. here, knowing you plan to kill me with that pistol of yours, I, the look on her face when he said that was great. She was yeah. like, oh, God. Yeah. She's like, oh, God. But he says, I don't know if I had a chance to do it all over again, that I'd do anything different. And he just calmly, nonchalantly takes his gun out and places it on the table. And she does the same. Mm-hmm. We continue along. But what'd you think about how this started, kind of transitioned in Fury's putting it all out under the table, literally and metaphorically, right? He literally puts yeah. the gun out onto the table, but he puts it all out onto the table. Well, I'm calling it now. Uh, there's going to be an Emmy nomination for this scene. They're going to submit this scene for the Emmy. Uh, guaranteed this, uh, the dialogue here, the short monologue there from, from Fury. There's so much, emo- there's a whole spectrum of emotion and tension in that one line delivery. And the, the twists and turns it makes and, you know, the, the feeling of betrayal and anger and genuine love that is somehow all conveyed through just an amazing performance by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, that's this moment in this scene was was what sold me of like, oh, yeah, they've hit that prestige level. Uh, they're they're really doing it here. This is going to get Emmys. Um, and I, I was just in I was in it and I was. I was just hanging on every word uh, from both characters. And I could really feel uh, her pain and her regret and her longing. In the, and in she didn't scene. say There's much, so much going at all. On. Yes, right? It's yes. all visual. It's just her reacting to yeah. the stuff that Fury's saying where, where she's like, uh, he, because what, what I love about this too is the scene before this, we hear her talking about how, He's lost it. Mm-hmm. He's not the same guy anymore, right? He doesn't know what's going on. He's not that fury. And we know for sure that she actually, because we weren't sure, you know, when when her and Rhodey are talking, does she know Fury's bugged her? We don't know. Does she think that? We know for sure that she didn't because mm-hmm. she walks into the buzzsaw right here and yeah. she's not expecting it. But it's this, oh, crap. Why did I do this? I love this guy. Should I have done this? Maybe I, I mm-hmm. still have to do this. It's the right thing to do. Or maybe I was wrong. He still has it. He hasn't lost it. He's not old and over the hill, right? Some of the things I was worried about aren't because he's sharp enough to know what's going on. Yeah. It's like all these things probably going through her head at the same time while she's sitting there. And you can almost see them all on her face. She like wears yeah. them really well. So true. You, you you see her life falling apart just in her reactions uh, and the weight of that. It's, it's a beautiful scene, and it's, it reminds me of some other great scenes. Not, nothing specific about it, but something about Kill Bill or Tarantino show, show-offs uh, or showdowns, where, you know, where, the, yeah. where both guns are out on the table, and there's that tension that's laid, and there's a, there's, it's very dialogue-heavy, but in a, in a way where you're just hanging on every word. Um, I, I thought that this really you know, just just nailed it. So she explains uh, Dr. Pris- about Dr. Priscilla Davis, the woman whose identity she stole. She had a congenial heart effect. She was keeping it a secret. She didn't want the people she loved gathered around for months watching her die in a hospital. I would visit her in a room almost every day towards the end. We became quite close. 
But at some point I had to acknowledge the truth of what I was actually doing there in the first place. Looking for someone who would slip your defenses. Ah, Mm -hmm. Fury responds. So you were playing the long game on me even then. But this was like just again, like talking Mm -hmm. about it even gives me goosebumps because it feels so real. Like when you're engaged in conversation like this with one of your significant others, you do go from like. Positive to negative to like Talking Mm -hmm. about things that you liked to you didn't She's talking about like In a nice positive way I was looking for someone to slip your defenses I don't think she was meaning As much like Infiltrate you as let your guard down Right like who was gonna make you Fall in love with me I think that's what She was going for here and Fury Spun it which is what We do when we're fighting with someone Right Mm -hmm. they try to tell you what they were doing and why in their head and in their heart it was good and all that you hear is the bad the negative what actually happened not why their motivation was good and he mm-hmm. says oh you know you're playing the long game on me but she snaps back don't do that nick you know one day the doctor came in and told me it would just be a matter of hours i decided to come out and asked you asked if you could assume her life no i asked if she wanted to fall in love she wanted to know how of course so I told her about you. She made her uh, me make her three promises. One, I would bury her at sea, which I did. Two, that I would continue to be a daughter to her parents. Fury says, you, you've also done that. And I stopped not to go on a tangent. I thought about that for so long, how weird that is. Like, mm. yeah. just to go to pretend to be someone's child and yeah. like just have a relationship with two people that weren't your family, but pretend like they're your parents. She did that, and she played it off. They didn't know. Like, she went on with this and 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 kept her cover. Her final thing that she promised was that she would never hurt Fury. She says, sorry, darling. And Fury mm-hmm. takes a big sigh, and then he recites her favorite poem. And what did you get? Or, and did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, she smiles. I did. And he says it back. Now they he knows it by heart at this point. And what did you want? Vara responds to call myself beloved. She starts to tear up. And then they both finish it together. To feel myself beloved on the earth. Boom. And we hear shots. We don't see what happens. It's a very American beauty Sort of you hear the shot and then they wait for a second and then they come back and they both shot past each other. Yeah. And they sort of chuckle a little bit. They laugh. Fury says, I'm not sure what this means. Do we get divorced? Should we renew our vows? Either way, they'll be coming for you. She says, I'm a big girl. I can take care of myself. But she asks, would you have loved me if I'd never changed? If I'd been my true self? And Fury hits her with one. That was just going to stick with her forever. He, yeah. he says, I guess we'll never know. I love the that. timing. Yeah, the timing. Like he, he gives it a long, just a pregnant pause on that mm-hmm. one. And then just again, like Samuel L. Jackson is like second to none with line deliveries. Like it, he just quietly just just lets it out. You know, I guess we'll never know. And there's there's so much regret. And there, again, there's love in there. Like there's he's sparing her. In that moment, but he's also, you know, he's delivering a jab. It's 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 everything all at once, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's it's really good. I, I've felt 
the ambiguity of this scene kind of, you know, it's left open for interpretation where they can go from there. I, I, I felt that that served the story ultimately because, you know, that's going to create some interest down the line. This is not a completed story here. There's more to their story. They're going to cross paths again. You can only, you, you, it has to be the case. Um, and who knows where that's going to lead to, but that is just that central, um, that conflict there that was underlying the whole thing that just came to the surface at the end of like, could they ever have even been in love if they were their true selves? Were they ever their true selves to each other? Was Fury even his true self back to, to her? Mm -hmm. You know, he's a spy after all. He's living two lives always. It's just part of the, the that's the name of the game. But then there's that other layer of like, that she's an alien who's literally living another person's life. Um, it works really well, and it's it's a nice twist, subversion, and you know, ex expanding upon you know the some spy tropes and sci-fi tropes, and just, uh, a marriage of the two. Uh, and I, I think that the, they again they nailed it. This was a really good scene. It worked in a lot of different levels. We then see Rhodes, scroll Rhodes, Scrody <laughs> taking a shower, and and they. Uh, they do this very well because it's another scene where it's immediately following Fury leaving Vara. And we see a woman scroll getting out of the shower. So you're led to believe that this is actually Vara probably shredding the Priscilla yeah. skin and being in her own skin as a scroll now without Fury around. Right. She doesn't have to keep that front on anymore. But that's not at all what it was. This was showing us that the scroll. That is Rhodes is actually a female And yeah. we don't know much More than that But we do see The scroll Rhodes come out of the bathroom In a hotel room and Fury Has just busted into his hotel room He's sitting there with a bottle Of Pappy Van Winkle 23 <laughs> years of Distilled perfection $5,000 worth of 24 karat liquid gold He wants to have a drink with Rhodes he basically wants to to bury the hatchet But this was like the scene where Rhodes was obviously Over the top he said man I just shit canned mm -hmm. you Into oblivion a few days ago um, And uh, Fury offers him a drink Says is this, is this the real th thing Should I be worried about poison Fury says no Nanotex He tells him <laughs> He tells him exactly yeah. <laughs> what he's doing And yep. He has liquid a liquid tracker that he puts into the mm -hmm. drink so that way when Rhodes drinks the alcohol, he can track him. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's the first thing. And second, it gets him drunk when he has to go back and yeah. deal with this president, the deal with the president of the United States and go back and do his job. I, mean, I was Rhodes wondering about – yeah, I was wondering about that part. I, 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 that part kind of confused me. Like did he know he was going to finish the bottle and like – or is that just a, a – a, Secondary kind of side effect that was yeah. a happy coincidence, or does he maybe even know that like scrolls don't metabolize alcohol the same way? So it that's what I was going to ask would, you. Would smell more. Uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting little detail there, but I wasn't sure exactly how it worked or why it was there. Because I now I want to see the scrolls and Bruce Banner and Jen from She Hulk all drinking together, right. and just right. see like the differences and like what happens in them getting drunk. I mean, Rhodey. Says I'm gonna should I pour this out Should I make myself a fresh one Um mm -hmm. he drinks Takes a few drinks 
as Fury tells him there are scrolls inside the U.S. government. And Rhodes says, oh, yeah, scrolls are in my security detail, right? They're everywhere. Fury says, I have it on excellent authority. There's a scroll mole very close to the president. How close? (laughs) As close as you and I are right now. (laughs) Closer. I I love that part. That's a wild story. Um, uh, Fury says, here's the kicker. All you have to do to keep my mouth shut is to give me my job back. But Rhodes makes a counter, takes a big drink. He grabs a little file, and he plugs it into the computer, and he shows video of Fury shooting Maria Hill. Of course, it wasn't Fury. It was Gravik mm-hmm. who shapeshifted as Fury. But this was the end of episode one of this season where we saw mm-hmm. Fury standing over a dead Maria Hill. And they have that footage on camera. That's what Rhodes has on Fury now. He says, look, I've got this. And, you know, as Fury tries to explain, Rhodes won't even let him. That's that's what you're going to go with? The alien defense? No, Your Honor, that's not me. That's a six-foot-tall, bald, black, one-eyed, extraterrestrial. Good luck with that. He says, I don't want you to worry. I'm going to do everything in my power to protect you, keep this video, and, you know, all the copies that I made under wraps. But I can't have you running around spouting wild conspiracies, and I certainly can't have you breaking into my hotel suite threatening me. But what I can have is the rest of this poppy. Because, baby, this is fire. (laughs) It's like, come on, that's not Rhodes right there. Like, Right, right. uh, And then he tells him, why don't you hobble your ancient ass on out of here before I have you defenestrated? So, (laughs) Rhodey getting to to cook a little bit here. Uh, But he's drunk. He is drunk. As Talos and Fury now track him, Talos loves this. He's a oh, liquid location tracker. He's like enamored yeah. by this. As uh, and that's again, I think uh, a little example of Fury being um, like playing possum as as yes. his. It's, it's kind of his mo. Like all the way back mm-hmm. to uh, Winter Soldier, he plays dead in there. Yes, uh, I, I theorize maybe that's what's going on uh, overall with this. Like uh, that he fell off that whole. Um, narrative that that's just you know him putting that out there so that people will let their guards down and so that's what happened in, as a microcosm in this scene too where you know Rhodey's uh, or the scroll playing Rhodey uh, his guard was up at the beginning he's like is this poison mm-hmm. is it what what is this Fury has to look a little bit he has to well, play like sheepish and he has to look like he's like he oh, needs man. something from Rhodey. Yeah. Something like else. you think I, I, I'm not, I can't do that right now. Like he looks like he couldn't even think about doing that. Right. Yeah, I he, know he, he pretends to be desperate too. He pretends to like, he, oh, he really wants to get, you know, back uh, to, to be hired again by, by Rhodey to be unfired or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so, so he, he shifts the focus to that. Like, oh, it's I really great, need something from you. Such a great manipulative tool. Yeah, it, it, and then aw- he, it lets the yep. guard down. <laughs> it is awesome. It is awesome to see here as uh, Rhodes goes to meet with the president. President arrives on a Air Force One, and Rhodes is briefing him for a meeting coming up. <laughs> but right away, Rhodes, you could see he's like a little loosey-goosey with his words. <laughs> said, uh, there's a full briefing book for you inside Stagecoach. One word. The key thing about Russians is you have to project strength. There's an old Lenin quote, Vladimir, <laughs> not John. It's like, oh, okay, first off, yeah. you're quoting Lenin. Um, <laughs> when you find flesh, you push. When you find steel, you stop. You got to be steel, sir. He sort of leans in and, like, pats the president on the shoulder. It's like, 
<laughs> this is not at all how you interact with the president of the United States at all. Um, right. And uh, President Ritson can smell the alcohol all over Rody. Uh, he says, can I ask you something? Did you pregame for our bilateral with the Russians with a half bottle of bourbon? Rhodes says, I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure I understand the question, sir. And then the president tells his other security to make sure that uh, the colonel here has a, a large coffee for the road. Yeah. I love that that uh, Rody checks his breath. He does the yeah. like smells it on his hand and he can tell that he's drunk. And he uh, he even sort of like bumbles getting in the door. Or like he doesn't uh-huh. even try to open the door to the car, you know, like his his oh, security yeah. agent does. And it is a he good makes, little. He makes him open it. He's like super rude about it. Like and that, he's, that's he's his, just a total tool bag. And that's the agent. His his security yeah. detail for Rhodes is the man whose arm is yeah. broken because of Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah, so no he sling. makes the one armed man <laughs> yeah. open the door for him. It's like yeah. what an ass. What an ass. That was one of the the key points that um, Eric from New Rockstars was making. Like. Yeah. The real road, he wouldn't have done something like this. He's not no, making a one-armed man open a door for him. Like, you could have seen, huh. the, like, the roadie, there were still moments where he would be, like, snide and funny back with mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr., right? Like, they would they would fire back at each other. So there, there are some things that he would say that you could, like, suspend your disbelief here. But he was yeah. not a bad dude. No, like he, and was, he always had swag, but he was buttoned up military swag. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it was never like this loosey goosey. Like no, yeah, it's, like it's illegal just, stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. like <laughs> a, like like stepping, like tiptoeing across the line, maybe, and mm-hmm. doing something that maybe was frowned upon for the greater good, not just mm-hmm. like debauchery, like right. we're seeing from this Scrodes here. But they get in the. Their cars. So this is the president's like convoy where they have, you know, six or seven vehicles. So that way nobody really knows which ones the president are in. And um, they have all of his security in front of and behind him, Secret Service all over. In one of the cars, Scroll Roads calls to let Gravik and company know hey, the president's in the fourth car and the scrolls launch their attack. They've got inside intelligence. The president's car has been flipped upside down. Helicopters are being shot down. They have a coordinated attack planned here. And all of a sudden, chaos everywhere. The president is out. He's inside a car that's been flipped over and he's unconscious. And Fury and Talos, remember, they are tracking roads. So they're able to arrive on the scene to help out a little bit. You know, Talos and Fury, they, they just do their best that they can to try to help the situation. Yeah. They get closer to the the president and some of the uh, the military. Fury a- is able to shoot down a scroll insurgent plane, which is really cool how he does it. Um, yeah. It's like one sh- in one swoop. And then he and Talos get over to the president as Gravik and his men notice that Fury has arrived. He Gravik shows off his new Groot power, and this is something yeah. you pointed out. He does not give two f's about who sees him if he's in public. Anything yeah. with these powers, like he shapeshifts publicly, he heals and regenerates right there, and he just uses his arms to grow tree branches like brute and completely choke and like strangulate a person. So now we know yeah. that Gravik. Super scroll. He have we seen 
powers from all of the the creatures that were on the computer screen. So it was the Extremis, Groot, and I think it's those two so far. Obsidian, which I guess would be like I don't know, strength, just really strong, maybe like strength, super strength. So. Yeah, but we've yeah. seen at least two of them now that we know he has, and mm. yeah, I mean he just crushes this U.S. agent. It's it's like a war zone out here, chaos all over the place. As mm. Talos and Fury notice where the president is, they see his car flipped up, so they make their way over there. And Talos pounds through that bulletproof glass that we were talking about. He's pounding the window, pounds, pounds, (laughs) punches it repeatedly. And while he's focused on the window trying to save the president of the United States, he gets shot. And as he gets shot, he becomes a scroll again. He loses his shape-shifting. He's sort of like half a scroll and still like really cool. A human, yeah. It's like the movie, uh, the the man without a face with Mel Gibson. You right. know, it's like half, it's like half of up there. Um, nice callback there. What deep this cut. Does, right, I was gonna say that was a that was an old one. That was a deep one. Good old Mel out at the uh, UFC event over the last uh, couple weekends. That was a great, great yeah. crew. Uh, Mel, Trump, and a few others. You know, yeah. <laughs> but, Guy Fieri. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say great, great yeah. group, uh, great group there. The the funny thing. About this is We saw the reaction that humans Would have To seeing a scroll mm-hmm. And some of the the military Looked over and they saw Talos be On the ground As an alien and they immediately Went negative Oh my god he's trying to kill the president Yeah, That's the first but thing to, they think But to be fair And in Talos's you know, defense here they were immediately able to accept that, oh, no, they're, he's on our side. He's I one love, of us. And that's yeah. a great point. I love that. And it was – he. they needed a guy like Fury to be the intermediary. Right. Right? Fury – you needed someone you trust like Fury to say, hey, look, no, he's with me. He's saving – we're saving him. And you're right. Yeah. It didn't take a whole lot of coaxing. And right. so what was great about this moment was it was actually – you were hitting on it while Fury – Thought that that everybody would be scared of scrolls, what they looked like, would people accept them? That was the conversation mm-hmm. they had on the train. Mm-hmm. And we you got to see both sides of it within 10 seconds. You got to yeah. see the initial reaction that people may have to something they don't know. But then we can very easily trust if we're told and if we believe, and that's like quickly what happened. The guy went from, oh crap, there's a scary alien to no, look, this guy's helping us save the president. And all of a sudden, that same guy, same military man turns around and he starts shooting elsewhere. It mm-hmm. all happened so quickly, but it was, again, it was very impactful. It was like exactly what they were going for with the whole theme of this series in like three lines and like a, a small little scene. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of like that saying, there's no atheists in a foxhole. Like when, yes. when it's life or death, uh, you know, and, and and you see salvation in front of you from wh- however it is, like, you're just going to accept it. You're not going to, like, fight that that salvation, you know. Uh, uh, the thing that's going to get you through that moment is the thing that you need, and people aren't going to fight that in the moment. Oh, my God. It, no, but no, he's an alien, though. Like, no, he gets right back to it. Uh, he gets right back to defending and and, uh, and defending the president and, you know, trying to fight off these, these attackers there. Uh, 
because there's there's bigger fish to fry that literally their their lives are on the line and that they can you know you can make those decisions in those moments you can give people the benefit of the doubt i think that that's a kind of an optimistic but i think realistic uh view of humanity and because that man the us military agent doesn't shoot talos because he lets talos continue the president's life is saved Talos gets through the window. He keeps pounding through, and Fury's able to pull the president out. And while Talos is on the ground, he's suffering. He's shot. You pointed out Fury has sort of a choice. It's not like yeah. he looks down and looks and is like, oh, I'm going to pick to go with this guy here. But he goes to save the president, leaving yeah. Talos, even though that could put Talos in a very bad position. And it, and it does. does, right? It <laughs> yeah. does. It ends up looking like one of the military, uh, one of the, you know, the army men is going to save Talos. He picks same up Same guy from before. Same, same guy, guy who noticed that Talos was an alien. He says, I got you. And it looks like, oh, cool. Like, really good, heartfelt moment. He's going to save him. And as he brings him to Fury's car, Fury unlocks. He tosses the president in the car. He looks around. And that man shapeshifts to Gravik. And Fury quickly tries to shoot Gravik. It doesn't matter. Gravik heals. And Mm -hmm. he stabs and kills. Did he stab him or did he shoot him? Talos. Stabbed him. Stabbed him him right in the chest. Stabbed him right in the chest, right? He stabs him. And Talos, gone. Yeah. Um I mean it, it looks like a like a definite kill shot. I mean it gets it he's already shot, so he's already like gravely injured, and then that stab is like right to the heart. I don't know if scrolls have hearts in the same place, but but it seemed like it was a one and done. That's there's no coming back from this sort of thing. It seeing how Gravik was not impacted by the shot, Fury terrified. Yeah. It, you know, he's he's right scre- in the face. He's I think he shoots him the twice. Face. He, he gets him he, once in, in the in the chest or the shoulder. He does or something. it before the Gravic thing, and I think even and then, after, yep. or, and then after, or before the Talos, and then after again, he shoots him again, heals yeah. instantly, hops on a motorcycle, and the dude's out. Like yeah, very Terminator in, too, by the way. Yeah, they came <laughs> in, infiltrated all of this, dropped the bombs, like almost killed the president, kill Talos, and then they're out. Yeah, and. and uh, Go ahead. I, I want to point one thing out before we go on here. That uh, maybe it's a little bit of a plot hole. I'm not sure, uh, but the whole idea of this it was supposed to be like a false flag, right? They're they're trying to stir up conflict between the different nation states, and in this case, they're you know uh, making an assassination attempt on the president, and they're trying to frame Russia for it. I think that's the whole basis for it. But in the middle of it, like you pointed out, uh, Gravik busts out the the group power, so that kind of upends that whole. Um, narrative was, is that because at that point they knew that the jig was up and that they had to just do a different uh, I think they just had to get out cover. of there yeah the cover, the must cover have was already blown, blown at that point I guess so because Fury was there and, and Talos were there so they just assumed like alright we gotta just just kill everyone and leave because uh, you're right that, it doesn't confuse yeah, me a little me too because there's at this point they know it wasn't the US anymore in the right. in Russia back and forth like it is some extraterrestrial group that is trying to set things up Mm. And last thing we see, Fury in the car with a wounded president, Talos laying on the ground, dead. So this is what episode one ends with Maria dead. Episode three ends with Gaia dead. And episode four Mm -hmm. ends with Talos dead. I mean, we don't know. I mean, Gaia comes back, but 
we're getting a theme here. You almost wonder if in our next couple episodes it, they're going to end with someone saying goodbye mm-hmm. right at the end. Um, yeah. who, who knows? But I just was so much more entertained in this yeah. episode from top to bottom, and it was shorter. But I think I felt mm-hmm. the weight of all of the yeah. – everything they wanted to be important. It felt important, and that did not happen in the first couple episodes. I think you were you were kind of hitting mm-hmm. it eloquently that like prestige. They wanted us to feel prestige, but we weren't feeling uh-huh. it. You know, they yeah. were like telling us you need to feel sad right now. It, it kind of right. felt like that at, at moments, and I didn't feel that way in this episode. I actually felt it. I'm excited, and now I'm curious where we're going. I think you yeah. pointed out. I was the most interested in staying up and watching this episode quickly right afterwards. Yeah. We're already recording the recap of it just a couple days after. So, uh, yeah, all in with a couple episodes to go. It's not the greatest yeah. show I've ever watched. It's taken a little while to get there, but I'm now invested in the final few weeks. I'm very mm-hmm. interested and in then how this will set us up for the Marvels. And uh, yeah. shout out. I don't know a whole lot about that. And like you, I'll watch mm-hmm. some things here and there. I try not to know a whole lot about all these things before I go in, but we're going to mm-hmm. get to see Kamala Khan and her family, which I loved. So that made me excited yes. and happy. And at least it feels like some of the things we're watching on these shows matter, right? We had to get introduced mm-hmm. to her and her family now before she could become a major character in the next, in, in a movie like this. Hopefully that'll be yeah. the same for a Kate Bishop moving forward yeah. right and and others like that so um, and gaia i feel like gaia is right now primed in a really great spot as a character narratively uh she's to got have a big all moment. this yeah she's got all this angst now from you know her her mother has been lost and now her father has just been killed after she just had this falling out and said you know some awful things to to him so she's gonna be carrying around guilt and and the weight of that uh, she could go one of two ways right because she's got mm-hmm. like this is like a villain origin story too for her. I love that you just said that. Yes. Because, uh, Nick Fury shows loyalty to his people over her father. What if she feels killed him? Exactly. What if, what if she feels betrayed by Nick Fury that like he was so loyal to you and then you left him on that battlefield. Like there could be some real conflict there too. So there's a lot of rich story that they can, uh, they can draw from here and, and continue onward. And you have her set up as a potential, you know, Avenger at some point uh, with the, with her power set. Uh, they're, they're saying that uh, she could be this character that's maybe going to run Saber at some point. We could definitely see Amelia Clark uh, in the MCU in some big tentpole movies down the line uh, with, you know, her old Game of Thrones co-star Kit Harington. Who knows? And yeah, we got to we got to get Khaleesi. Using yeah, some right. Man. We got to get some <laughs> Khaleesi. Um, I, I like I like this episode a lot. It was good. We have a good energy mm-hmm. now, a good feel uh, of of where we're heading with this one. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, TK. I mean, we uh, I think we put a nice bow on it, but it just seems like we were a lot more positive. And it's built. Um, this series has been a little different than some of the other Disney Plus ones, who kind of like would yeah. have st- strong starts. And kind of a little lackluster in the middle. They'd have like a strong episode towards the end, and then the finale would be a little uh like there was sort of like a roller coaster. Uh-huh. This one's felt like it's sort of built and built this gradually. building steady. Yep. So I'm excited yeah, I, I, for the end. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh one more thing, you know, I I had kind of been in had it in my head that 
maybe Nick Fury. I mentioned this earlier, you know, playing possum. There's more to the story. I, I still feel that uh, after this episode, uh, but I feel like that the idea of that has shrunken a little bit uh, in scope for me. I feel like this episode kind of um, cleared up that, I, you know, I don't think there's two Nick Furies now. Uh, judging from this, this episode, uh, there was some speculation as to like maybe there was a scroll Nick Fury in some scenes and, you know, you know, our true Nick Fury and others. Uh, I'm not sure if one way or another, but I feel like that this episode kind of established a lot of what we saw as being straightforward. That said, I, I'm I'm waiting for one ace to be up uh, the writers and Nick Fury's sleeve here. I think that they're going to drop some kind of a twist on us somewhere down the line. I have a hunch it's probably Maria Hill is still alive. Um, but, you know, who knows? That's But that's one of the things that's kind of carrying me into the final episodes as well. It's kind of an expectation of, of, of that. I'm wondering what what's your thoughts there? I completely agree with you. There's something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the Fury thing anymore, though. And I would mm-hmm. bet on Maria being yeah. alive somewhere. And even like we're saying, even I, I thought, I think Talos is gone. But if we're playing that game, like what if all mm-hmm. of these people that we thought were dead end up being alive? Right? Yeah. Like Maria, Gaia, Talos, all of them end up not being dead. Um, it's good that we're asking these questions and it's fun that we're mm-hmm. thinking these things. And now it's getting to the point where the series is, we're doing what it wanted us to do all along. Yes. That's what yes. it wanted. And we're here <laughs> and uh, we will be here with you each of the next few weeks discussing Secret Invasion Episode 5, Episode 6, and everything going on. Following that, we'll have some Ahsoka. We'll get back into the yeah. world of Star Wars. Tim Kelly will be here with us for everything. In fandom, give him a follow at Tim Is Not Funny on Twitter and on Instagram. You can check out links to all of their great music projects there. TK, buddy, thank you so much. I know life is busy for you right now, man. This was a fun one, and uh, I hope you have a, a great time with your family and the new young one. Thanks so much. Same to you. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode. Stay tuned. That was a fun one. We covered so much ground. Saturday, Saratoga. Saturday and Sunday, Woodbine. Sunday, Monday, Louisiana. AFC North preview, The Week in Wrestling, and Secret Invasion, Episode 4. I can promise you there is not one other show anywhere else in the world that had that exact schedule of content. Good luck this weekend, folks. Hope you have a blast. Thanks to Chad. Thanks to Eric. Thanks to Tim for helping us out this week.